Welcome back, Martini Giant fans. This is episode number 101, featuring Bonnie and Clyde from 1967, directed by Arthur Penn and starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. And we follow that up with the very famous Easy Rider from 1967, directed by Dennis Hopper, starring Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, and Jack Nicholson. This is what we call the spark and the explosion. These are very, very important films. These are really almost the premise for all of Martini Giant. I can't believe it has taken us to 101 episodes to sort of get to this point. But here it is, very, very important films that we need to cover and why they're so important. Of course, this podcast does go even longer than usual, but it is well worth it because we discuss a lot of history. And it's an important part of history because these are lessons that were learned in Hollywood. Hollywood at that time was stuck in this non-ending thing where they thought that they were going to make uh, musicals and westerns forever. And eventually uh, it all collapsed. And it wasn't until movies like Bonnie and Clyde and Easy Rider sort of completely changed the face of Hollywood. One might say that we're in the same boat today, and we will learn from that history with all the superhero films and Star Wars and 80s reboots that we're doing today. And that's basically what we think we are in this situation. So this is an important part of history. We learn from what happened then and what could possibly happen from here. Now, besides this specific episode, three things about the show that I want to remind you. One, the first thing is, of course... I remind you guys every time, but just to let you know, we do record all these podcasts on Twitch, which means we, you can be part of the audience as we record them. We usually record them on Saturdays, except for the next two Saturdays, we're actually going to be off because I will be traveling and it's just getting complicated. But if you want to follow us on Twitch, always do that, twitch.tv slash martini underscore giant. And it's always fun to have people in the audience contribute to the conversation. We'd love to engage with people on chat on that as well. Um, the next thing is, uh, if you've missed the Twitch, you can still catch us on YouTube. Yes, we started a YouTube. Starting with the 100th episode, we decided to start an entire YouTube for this. And we'd love to have you be part of that uh, YouTube and just check this out and subscribe. So uh, all you got to do is just go on YouTube and search Martini Giant and we will show up. We don't have a custom YouTube URL yet because our YouTube is very, very new and we need at least 100 subscribers, which we'll get to very quickly. Maybe you can be one of those first 100 uh, to get us there. Just subscribe to the channel, uh, and then uh, we'll be able to get a custom URL. But otherwise, just go to YouTube and search Martini Giant, and don't forget to subscribe. And you can see this entire podcast in a video form, which actually is pretty good. And we have actually starting to revamp our video format so that it's even cooler on YouTube. So go ahead and check that out. And the last thing is, if you are uh, if you're watching this YouTube and you'd like to be part of our Discord, I'm going to put a uh, QR code right there. Go click on that QR code and uh, you can uh, that will give you a link to our Discord where we have lots of people on Discord and lots of fun discussions. Our Discord is actually quite active and quite entertaining. So go ahead and check that out. But for now, please enjoy episode number 101, The Spark and the Explosion. Bonnie and Clyde, and Easy Rider. Oh, you're talking about, I'm sorry, you're talking about Eric. Yeah, no, he looks great, too. <laughs> he is definitely, he is definitely the, uh, uh, the Peter Fonda of the group, I'll tell you that. I'm yeah, a what are you gonna do, Peter man? Fonda fan. 
Oh, I'm a huge Fonda's awesome. Peter Fonda is awesome. You, you worked on a Peter Fonda film. I did. But you did. Do you realize <laughs> that he actually lived in the town I was raised for a certain period with his sister? But Jane? Yeah. They went to the same schools yeah. I went to as a kid. I know. He played, apparently, he and my no joke. father. My father and him and Jane were playing in a backyard once when they were kids that I've heard. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah that's a true he story. grew up in the same neighborhood as you, buddy. He did. That's wild. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. yeah because yeah. the father worked in New York or lived in New York. And, um, but yeah, that's, um, I've always liked him a lot. I've really yeah, just cool. felt the connection to him. Of the entire uh, old school, he, I think remained the coolest through his life. He was a, we, we, Eric and I did, uh, both worked on ghost rider, which I've never actually seen <laughs> that included Peter Fonda and, uh, uh, Kevin Mack was the VFX supervisor on it. Well, who is one of the nicest people in the people uh, in the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he did is he took a video of Peter Fonda to us to address us the visual effects crew thanking us for all the cool amazing stuff oh what a badass man that's great and so peter finds like you guys are awesome thank you so much for making this look so cool all your hard work is going to be wrecking it was like one of the you know it was like wyatt telling us how cool we are and wanted to pass us a joint you know it was like dude <laughs> that's that game recognized game that's fantastic that's good mm-hmm. so i remember that grg that's yep. my old saying. That's right. That's right. Game recognized game. So these these two. Um, this is 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 this our 99th episode? I think this it is. This is our one hundred and no. So this, this is, is our one hundred first. One hundred order first that come out. Okay, this is our one hundred first. So okay, then it still works. I was going to say I think that these two movies, um, uh, we've talked about them a lot. Uh, we and have. They are central to the core thesis of Martina Giant. They are 100% the beginning of why we think... They are... It was because of these two movies that our love of movies evolved from the birth of these films. Yes. Yeah. Is that a good way That's to put it. it? I think that, yeah, they, 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 they come in handy in terms of uh, what we mostly talk about now as I, an iconic moment Yep. Right. Right. And uh, and so this is like, you know, we've been like, we touched on a bit when Scott was here when we talked about Apocalypse Now. Yep. Um, and so for our next 100 uh, that we're kicking off with this episode, I think this is a great kickoff episode for uh, our next uh, our next run because this is uh, I this is iconic of a bunch of things that have been coalescing with us in terms of our thought. And mm-hmm. I put it up on Facebook that we were going to do these movies today. And Donna Smith said, agreed, movies that created a change. Yes. Hell yeah, Donna Smith. <laughs> if people don't know who Donna Smith is, you've seen Donna Smith movies. <laughs> yes. She was the producer on Terminator. <laughs> yes. Her first film was Raging Bull. <laughs> yes. You probably own Donna Smith movies. So, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Donna. <laughs> have, you, have you heard of a movie called Back to the Future? <laughs> yeah. These are, these are, she was the head of Universal or head of uh, production at Universal or head of production and post-production at Universal yep. for many years. And the first woman to ever be hired in Hollywood at that position ever. 
Um, Absolutely amazing. Yeah. She yep. is she is a champion and a legend. She is so, a champion yeah. and a legend. And so I, I like if all if anyone knows, it's her. <laughs> no. No. Without doubt. Yeah. Yeah, these are movies that change movies. These are movies that change movies. Mm-hmm. Uh these these are a seed change in a sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and um one of one of the places where the story of that sea change is widely narrated is in the book that uh, you guys recommended I read and I eventually did read and absolutely love and we've referred to on this podcast many times as well, which is Easy Riders and Raging Bulls. Yes. Yep. Um, and obviously, Easy Rider is in the title of that book, but it's about specifically that time in Hollywood where everything right. was changing. Yep. yep. So. Big, big, important thing. So we figured we might as well formalize it and talk about these specific films uh, and how important they are. Now, historically speaking, I think we have to start with Bonnie and Clyde because that's the first one that really kind of. Yeah. yeah. And and in fact, I would like to uh, take your metaphor and sort of say, I think that they're the that this these movies sequentially are the spark and the explosion. I think that is okay. Okay. Yes. I think that's what's happening. I think that's what's happening. And now uh, there's a lot of people say, a lot of people also say that these would not have happened if the Americans, specifically the, the hippie intellectuals mm -hmm. out there weren't completely enamored by the French new wave. Like they were basically. I, I, I think the spark is that, but I also think, that uh, is something uh, it's not overlooked. I mean, people, but think about it. Jack Nicholson, um, uh, Peter Fonda used to work for uh, what's his name down in Venice, where we used to work. Dennis Hopper. No, uh, well, and Hopper, they all knew the filmmaker. He had his studio right by. Oh Venice. yeah, uh, fucking uh, uh, one of the greatest uh, producers of all time. What's Ooh. his name? Uh, Roger Corman. Foreman. Yeah. It's the accessibility right. to make your own. I really yes. think that, but because they wrote head, they did other things yeah. with that. It's like, why don't we just do it ourselves? Which was that spirit. Because remember, right. Bonnie and Clyde was a studio picture. Yes. And yes, it, it, was. it was. But think about, but it, okay, let's get into that. I just think that was. For, for Hopper, Nicholson worked for Corman, Fonda worked with Corman. And yes. I think Hopper knew Corman. So the mechanism were, was there, right? They were like, why are we going to these guys, man? We're right. Because like all of this, this, like all of this stuff, like, and including, but the, I don't the, think the they would have done it. I don't like, think they would have done, done it if Bonnie and Clyde hadn't just sort of like changed what right. was there. Right. So like, just, just to go, I think you're so right about the French new wave. The French new wave yes, is a very important setup, was. right? Yeah. Like the French new wave is an important setup because, uh, the French new wave, uh, is you know it's a uh, it's the sixties basically it's it's throughout the sixties but it actually starts slightly in the fifties um, and it starts uh, because people uh, like there was a real um, violent reaction in France to classical yeah, no. French cinema <laughs> like there was an yes. angry group of people uh, led by Francois Truffaut film critic of the time uh, who wrote for Cahiers de Cinema. And a very well-respected French film magazine. And they were relentless at criticizing the state of French cinema. And the state of French, because it was all just this very proper sort of clone of Hollywood 
bullshit. Well, thing. yes and no. Okay, hold right. on, hold on a second. Because yes, well, I have a little. Oh, good. The good. French, the French, they have as as you know obnoxious as the French are sometimes, <laughs> have this big chip on their shoulder, and they feel they are the original. The source of all cinema is France. Like, yes. They think they originated of cinema. Of art. Right. Yeah. <laughs> of art itself, right? Yes. And, yes. and to the point where the French government still heavily subsidizes the film industry. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yep. uh, as, as you know, that is French. So, and that's because they want to support film as an art form, right? Now, Hollywood was not necessarily about an art form. It was about entertainment. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, this is actually a great point because like, in in France, though, everything we're, we're talking about the setup for what this is, like essentially uh, what I'm describing is like there's that. OK, so there's the spark and the explosion. All the rest of the stuff we're talking about right now is the uh, is the uh, is the uh, gasoline fumes that are building up in the room. Like, <laughs> right. Like this is, this the, is the, fuel era, for the, fire. the fuel for the fire that is that is that is gaining more and more uh, uh, density uh, per square inch as we go right. is a number of different forces. Right. Um, and the earliest bit is that, uh, you know, in the fifties and sixties. And the thing is, I would like, before you even say the French, I'd actually say, uh, like the Swedes, like, you know, Ingmar Bergman and those guys have a sure. heavy, heavy, and also like Kurosawa in the fifties and all this, like these movies, uh, like these countries are going through their own big artistic yeah. mo movements. So the pressure is building because those movies are starting to gain traction over here in the, in the fifties and sixties. Um, and you see like young filmmakers are seeing these movies and going, what the fuck? How come we don't have stuff like this? This is insane. And then right. in, in France, like, uh, with, uh, Truffaut and his gang, like they were like, uh, you know, uh, uh, fuck you film establishment. Like you, you and your, you know, earrings of Madame de and blah, all this fucking formalist bullshit. Like, no, we like, we, we reject it. Right. And then. Right. People that were angry at Kaya Cinema and Francois Truffaut were like, "Well, you're just a bunch of fucking talky bullshit reviewers. Like, what yeah, do you it's know? Easy about? It's, it's easy to be a critic. It's easy to be a critic. Right. It's easy to be yeah. a critic, right? And so Francois Truffaut said, "You know, you're right. So I'm going to make a movie, and I'll prove you, prove you my." Thesis. And he had never made a movie before, right? Never made a movie before, and out of the gate, he makes one of the greatest films of all time, um, the most cutting edge films of all time, which is uh, Le Quatre Cinq the 400 blows. Right. Did I say that right? I hope I said that right. Yeah. Anyway, like the, so the 400 blows, which is still great today. And that shit got seen over here, you know? And so the French new wave and Ingmar Bergman and Kurosawa and all this international film, uh, is showing up more and more in second run B theaters and art house theaters. Uh, and you know, like this is like the set, like essentially the Roger Corman crew is seeing these movies. Like they're seeing, they're yeah, because, like, holy but shit. Also, everyone's at college now. Yeah, right. And this is like the like you're seeing film instead of as product, like Doris Day stuff. You're seeing it as art, right? And this is mm -hmm. extremely exciting, especially in a country that's in the middle of a very negative foreign war in which many people are dying needlessly. There's an yeah. incredible amount of social unrest, and yes. young people are getting more and more disaffected by. Well, the situation yeah, the, governmentally and everything else the the the, the what's the the the, uh, the student revolution in france is just mm -hmm. crazy right i mean we 69 right uh before that i think wasn't it i, think I, mean, it was I don't 69. know 
because we we covered Mescuna Femina, mm-hmm. which is a Godard film, which I oh, is good... my favorite. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> I, all of his. I had not seen that before Martini Giant, and that blew my mind. That's one yeah, of the great it is, ones. It is, and and he was. You remember he was re- rebelling no, against the Americans and Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. So right. And that was 1966 when that right. movie came out, just to put that in perspective. So, like, all this is happening for America, and then, take it away, Eric, rock and roll happens, right? Right. And yeah. things go fucking bananas. Like, and there's no artistic representation of that energy in cinema at all. No. Like, you go to the theater, and you're still seeing Pillow Talk. Hello, my darling. Hello, my dearie. And then meanwhile, yeah. freaking outside, you know, outside, you got Jimi Hendrix going. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a completely different sound. Like, totally different worlds. Yeah. Completely different yeah. worlds. Right. And yep. so that when 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 the state, when the studio, I mean, the thing is, like, you, you have Warren Beatty and Warren Beatty to me is a genius. I didn't realize how much of a genius he was. Splendor in the grass. Uh, he baby. was. He put everything on the fucking line to yeah, this, make fun and Clyde, man. Dude, this guy from like his whole career is actually like I was late to the party and appreciating Warren Beatty, but now I am a huge Warren Beatty fan. Oh. And uh, and like he was at this at this time, like he was still a studio heartthrob, like Splendor in the Grass, you know this Splendor kind of grass. stuff, right? And he's like a yeah, super I mean, uh, young guy. He, he is. That's he's a he's a he's a little hunky hunky he's a guy. Hunky dude. He's a hunky dude. Yeah. And uh, you know, pretty boy. He had a little bit of an Alain Delon look to him. Yeah, sure. Right, exactly. And so like the studio yeah. loves him because he's like he's a hot ticket and it's great. And he's like right. I'm that kid's a hot ticket. I want to make I want to because he's I believe he's a producer. <laughs> I love, I love you. Eric and just keep playing the 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 old school Hollywood executive. You just need to give him a cigar <laughs> on the side of his mouth. That's a hot ticket. <laughs> exactly, dude. I get the so, hell out of my office. <laughs> so Beatty, you know, coming into hot Bonnie and Clyde, it's like he's like the the studios have all, all the fucking confidence in the world. Like, oh, a gangster picture with the hot young stud we got, magnificent. And then they yes. get, then they end up with Bonnie and Clyde, and they're like, "What <laughs> the fuck is this?" <laughs> yeah. Now it's interesting because he really had to push for it, like. I remember there was some stories about the way that it was written and it was, I don't think they realized what was in it. Now it's still, like you said, the spark, it is not the was complete fire. Of its time. <laughs> no, Caligula. no, it was just that like the, the con, like there's, there's some bizarre sexual content in it. It's that, tons, dude. Layered, like glazed over like a turkey at Christmas. That, <laughs> that is, it's, a, it's a fucking thirsty movie, dude. That is a sweaty, thirsty, crazy, intense movie. Does Plus, she yeah. not look ultra, like ultra does she not look like uh, uh, Blondie? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, Blondie took that a little of that look. I love that. I, she I was actually, a waitress, too. Like, I, Oh, well, that Deborah Harry. Clyde that Bonnie and Clyde outfit look of the beret and the pants. She's, and like she's sexy as hell in this movie. There's no two ways about it. Both of them she are. She is amazing. Right. But apparently um, that was her, her uh, uh, like the, the person who did her, her wardrobe. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to do something different. And then the guy says, well, hold on, let's try that. And she tried this new look and it became the look of that oh, time. Like yeah, everyone wanted sort of to dress like, like her. When she's, when she's like <laughs> posing for the photograph, like that's like, like proto Annie Hall, you know, that look yeah. is just terrific, right? And like the yeah. 
And so she's got that that uh, that pre Diane Keaton vibe. She's and the thing is yeah. like I like I've never she's like I think that beautiful as hell. Yeah, and like <laughs> she was like, a model, dude. She was yeah. like a big deal model. Yeah, and she's right. got a terrific vibe about her. Just like like uh, she had a great personality. Yeah. Yeah. Just as an actor, she's terrific. She and was like, a little. No, so what's interesting about it is that their acting in this was kind of between the two worlds a little bit. Yeah, you could totally. sense it, right? Yeah. Like so the, their acting still has that style of the 1940s and 50s in some ways, but the content is it's jarring fucking and wild. Exactly. This is yeah. this is what I love about like what I love I love this movie. I think Bonnie Clyde's a great film. <laughs> and like yeah. what I love about this movie is that it keeps on trying to insist it's just a normal old style picture and then yeah. it goes so fucking far that you're like hold up what is going on yeah, and they yeah. um, and like so you have like these you know all these like uh hollywood lit beautiful shots of baby and it's like absolutely baby this kind of stuff but the stuff that they're right. saying you're like wait what are we talking about what is this you know or the in the first uh almost sex scene between them is just i, I can't this... i can't even fucking imagine what the studio thought of this stuff like yeah. wait a minute this yeah. thing doesn't work what is it? Wait, is this about boners? This is weird. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's impotent? He's impotent? What's going on? Get and out so, of like, here. And so I the don't movie, know if I like the movie it. takes I the context. The yeah, it's like the movie takes the context <laughs> of being a 50s movie and then makes it a, like, a mid-70s movie. Like, it's, you know, it's like 1968, 69, whatever the year is. And like 67. 67, right? So and so it is so, 66. like, where it goes is so far ahead of the curve that it's, like, even watching it today, I was like, this is a pretty fucking shocking, weird movie, even in its own context. Like, it sets yeah. you up for the shock over and over and over again, and you never get used to it. Like it's, it's really, it's, really it's terrific. Really weird things going on. Yeah. It's, it's a really, really freaky movie. Going. Right. And so like, it, and I think you're right. Like it uses this, it pretends to be one thing and then it is this other thing. Right. But that's, that's a key thing. So it's still produced the same way mm -hmm. that the old school things were doing the DP. Yep. Yep. You Beautiful know, the movie. rear projection stuff was rear rear projection, projection. Yep. the way yeah. they flip the car, like over, you can see the ramp. Oh, Oh, right. totally. All old Hollywood gags. Gags. You know? so all yeah. that stuff. So, yeah. like flipping and they the play it up like the music is like, you know, Fast all the forward. Story. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's like they're doing a regular movie, but they're doing something completely else underneath it, and it's yes. confusing as hell. Yes. <laughs> and so, like, so when the studio gets a hold of this thing, they're like, well, this is a disaster. This is not going to work. And, like, they don't want, like, there's not a lot of effort to try to you sell this thing like they're just like the reviews come out everyone's incredibly offended in the, uh, the new york times no no like, no 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 they're not offended they're just going what the fuck was that what is the this studio mess case? right yeah like and, right. and then like the and the initial reviews like the new york times i want like, answers like, like they were just, like this is disgusting trash don't see this you know whatever it is and then right. speaking of great reviewers pauline kale uh yep. uh young film reviewer for the new yorker uh sees this movie and goes this is the this is pointing the way to the future. Like everyone should see this movie. It is an incredible breakthrough artistically, socially, sexually, in every possible way. You have to see this immediately. You've never seen anything like this. And she goes to bat for this movie over and over and over again as Beatty's pushing to take it on tour around the country and get it in theaters. And once it finally catches it gets huge. It 
finally it finally works and catches fire. Like it isn't easy rider level. That's a whole different game. That, it, that, sets, that, that, it sets the stage. It sets the, it stage. sets the stage for it. Now, what's also interesting is that the studios had such low confidence in this that they basically, instead of paying Warren Beatty, because he was also a producer on it, mm-hmm. instead of paying him his scale for or whatever he was going to be paid for this, they decided just to give him 40% of the gross. Yeah. <laughs> he made out like a yeah, fucking that's the that's bank. the fucking George Lucas deal right there, my man. Yeah, okay, yeah, you can yeah, we'll just give you forty. Per- yeah, it's like no, I think there were, I think the story, and I may be wrong about this, but I think the story was he was fighting it, fighting for it, fighting for it, and they were like, no, this thing is ridiculous. It's like, and they need more. It's like, okay, fine, then take like, don't pay me this, just pay me the gross. I stand by this movie, and they're like. This movie's never going to make any money. Great Take job. Forty percent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Imagine if we like, find out posthumously that he slept with Pauline Kale to get that going. For that, <laughs> allegedly, yes. No, no, man. Like that. That's the thing, dude. It's like it was perfect intersection of all these forces. You know, like right. there's there's a uh, a great need in the air for uh, something to be on screen that uh, at least tries to recognize the temperature change socially, right? Uh, and to, to feel this horrible pressure that's building up everywhere, right? You have uh, reviewers that are active, positive artists in their own right, like Kale, you know, right. uh, that are, aren't just sitting back and like throwing rocks, you know, like they're getting, like they're getting involved. Like this is the kind of shit we want to see more of this, please. Like, like, and, and rallying the troops to fucking make it happen, you right. know? And then when people see it, they're like, yeah, there finally fucking a movie that actually speaks to me. Yeah. yeah. Who's it, our Pauline kale, the Pauline kale of martini giant. That's going to speak for us and get yeah, everyone dude. else to do it. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is, this is it, man. Like, I don't think like, I think that like Pauline, like I have lots of other things to say about Pauline kale that aren't as kind, but like her, but her no, she did some pretty shitty things too. She tried to take down <laughs> some, some pretty good filmmaking. Did she really? She like yeah. her, her relationship to uh citizen Kane and her famous right. article was, raising Kane is actually right. pretty tricky. Like it's pretty tricky. People want to look that up. They can do it. But it's like, like she basically she did not like yeah yeah she, yeah she's she's, really she's like I want to take that Orson Welles and destroy Orson Welles and this whole like this whole myth around him uh, and and she I mean this is uh, like what later came out that I understand is that she used she was writing this thing and another big reviewer uh, researcher film researcher uh, came to her and said like oh you know I'm I'm working on something kind of similar maybe we should share resources here and we could co-write this thing together about you know, the history of Susan Cain, blah, 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 and Nekowitz and all this kind of jazz. And she says, oh, yeah, yeah, sounds great. Sounds great. Let's do it. And then she took all of his uh, notes and all of his revelations and oh, didn't wait. credit him. He was, he, was a, he was a teacher. He became a teacher. At, um, a teacher, yeah. That's right. anyway, yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. So uh, everything she, she was... He was a somebody I know's teacher. Oh, wow. Yeah. When I first moved to L.A., he was telling me about that story of his professor. Yeah. Yeah. So this it is the thing is like this thing like she basically did exactly what she was accusing Wells of doing, right? Uh, and she wanted to take down Wells so hard because he represented something to her that she resented very deeply, and she became exactly the same villain she was accusing him of being. And so like uh, like Wells like 
in my like in my own watching of Wells' movies post Citizen Kane, like when we did Mank, I watched all of Wells, all the stuff I hadn't even seen, and I was like, this dude ends up being a much better filmmaker later on than Citizen Kane. Like he's he's great in Citizen Kane, but all of his most interesting stuff is later, and she tried desperately to bury him and make him a joke. And through most of my life, but he, he backs a, it up over and over and over again. Is basically what you're. Well, I mean, like right. he's like. Uh, well, what was it about him that she hated so much? I, I'm not. That's kind of unclear, right? It's the like. There's something about him as this myth, mythologized Hollywood icon Around that time, yeah. Right. That like the th- same thing that motivates her to stand for Warren Beatty and Bonnie and Clyde is what makes her detest um, uh, Citizen Kane. You know, and it's like she, her energy went just went south on that one, and it became her. Like, maybe, maybe it's the fact that she feels special about discovering Bonnie and Clyde, and yeah. wants to be the person that does that. And Citizen Kane is so yeah considered such a classic that yeah. hurts. Like that's she, yeah, you know, she wanted to take that down, right? And like I understand like the energy behind that, but like at the same time, like you know, you like for most of for most of my life. Like all the story was, uh, well, Orson Welles made Susan Kane and the rest of his movies are more and more drunken disappointments and blah, blah, blah. Until I watched them, I was like, no, he's, he is, that a is cut. absolutely not it's the, the, case. The, the fucking reverse <laughs> is true, but it's, it, she's yeah. the one who buried him. And, uh, and right. it, it's only through actually experiencing that I do realize that she was fucking selling a big Wrong. bag of shit. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just, um, however, I right. still like, she's a great writer, great writer. She was a great writer, great writer of film. And I, her early days, I, I super support the way that she championed shit. And also the other semi-negative, this isn't her fault, but like her style of movie reviewing uh, was very personal, very sharp, and very ironic in a way that people started to mimic that became what is now standard internet film discourse, which mm-hmm. is, if any, you spend any time on film Twitter, is the most fucking desperately unartistic nasty bullshit you've ever heard in your life and and it's it's awful it's the worst it's literally the worst and and her her vibe um it was the model for the way the film discourse has degenerated into just crud uh and so i I don't like hold that against her but it's like i think that um that negative energy eventually won out in a way that I think is extremely detrimental to the way to like all the, all the, everything she championed when she was young, like her negative energy has contributed to the dampening of creativity today. Huh? The so, personalization yeah. of it. Yeah. And this sort of like this self aggrandizing snarkiness, um, where the, the review isn't about the movie and it's not about art and it's not about trying to understand what works and what doesn't work. And it's not about trying to like connect with something or anybody else. It's about telling good, nasty jokes so you can be seen as a wit. Mm. And, uh, and I think that's, it cheapens everything and invites a self-consciousness that, um, that undermines the appreciation of art itself and, uh, and makes people defensive and makes them elitist and, uh, it makes them bullies. And I think that that's really too bad. I don't think she intended that. I think her younger self would be pretty sad about the what her style contributed. But at the time when Bonnie and Clyde was made, 
hers was the voice that made everything come together. So we owe her as much as, as much as I can criticize her. We, we totally owe her for what she did back then. Right. 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 But, but, but the lesson of that is we don't turn into an old asshole. <laughs> yeah, Chris, <laughs> that's it. I'm just saying might as well break Listen, it out. Uh, it, uh, old. I can't help asshole. Somewhat. Yeah. I can help. <laughs> like I, I was talking to Anne this morning. Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, props to Alan Schneller. Hello, Alan. Yeah, most YouTube film reviews are just nothing. There's, there are like two. There are two that I like, and two podcasts that I like. Always looking for. I assume that we are one of those two. I'm hoping that we are one of those <laughs> podcasts, Mr. Alan Schneller. Unless you're here just <laughs> to taunt totally us and just exactly. post there's two that I like, and then I put up with you guys. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's that, that's the thing. And so, like, I was talking to with Anne today, and like, she, she is like. I was I was bitching about all this stuff, and uh, and she's like, "You sound like a grumpy old man." But instead of saying "get off get off my lawn," you're like, "get on more lawns." <laughs> I was like, "I think you've nailed it." Like that's exactly my point of view. I'm just like, "Get the fuck on the lawn, everybody! Get on some lawns." <laughs> There's not enough lawn getting on going on right now. That's my get to the deal. movie theater. Yeah, this get is to it. the movie theater. <laughs> okay. It. All right, so so this is an important part of the thing. I think what we'll do is uh, let's get into it because we have a lot to discuss in two big movies, and I want to get through it, uh, and you know, get through these two movies and the importance of it. So Bonnie and Clyde, uh, as most people would know, are is actually based on a true story. It's two to uh, a couple that actually formed a gang that robbed a bunch of banks and were involved in some killings and a bunch of other things and notorious uh, uh, outlaws. What's interesting about it, this is to obviously took place in the 20s in Texas. But it very much feels, in a sense, both of these films uh, is, um, both of these films are, have the foundation of a Western in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Right? Right? So um, that, so I think this is kind of an interesting thing. So if, in terms of either traveling through country and meeting people or, you know, uh, or, or or basically uh, outlaws, you know, like you know Jesse James or whatever. So um, let's go through the the story of Bonnie and Clyde. It starts off. I believe doesn't it start with her? It starts with her in her room, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She's in like she's yeah she's in like she's. I mean, the opening of this movie is instantly sexy. Like it's like right. She is in this cramped hot. Uh, room upstairs feeling extremely lonely and obviously like frustrated <laughs> and like and yes and, sexually frustrated right very pretty mm-hmm. was she hot and naked yeah i don't know if she's masturbating i think but she she's is. thinking it's about pretty it. much what she's <laughs> that's what the scene is basically suggesting right that's especially when she starts rattling the bed yeah <laughs> Like this would they're they're going as far as they can possibly go in setting that She's up. She's right? saying she really wants to be having sex right now. Yeah. That's what she basically right. It's as steamy as you could make for the time. And I would say like the basic like it's that's not quite scene. to the level of uh what's the what's the uh 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 what's the, the opening scene? The television <sighs> show Judge Judy? No, oh, no, no, Judge no, Judy, no. Obviously. No, no, thing. no. Uh, uh, Dress to Kill, the opening scene. Of Dress yeah, to like, kill. like if you want to compare not quite this, there. Like, no, not Dress quite to Kill. There. Like, Dress to Kill is ridiculous. But, like, Dress to Kill is like, <laughs> <laughs> like, Dress to Kill is explicit in what it's showing. Yeah. And because of that, it's trashy and not very sexy. That's right. 
It's right? trashy. And like, no, De Palma is a master of trash. And I, I think that's a pretty fun movie, though. It's like ridiculous. Interesting that De Palma was considered of all those directors. He wasn't he one of the more, quote unquote, intellectual ones. Oh, he's a total, he was a total. He is a total intellectual. Right. And like, right. and I think I think he is actually a legit great filmmaker. But like, it's sure. funny that people like get on their high horse about De Palma. I'm like, this dude is like, like people get on their high horse about De Palma and then sort of rip on Tarantino for copying shit. I'm just like, De Palma was like fucking all he did for most of his life was reshoot Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. I wasn't a fan. The only it. thing I that he did that was great was with the Sean Penn. Pacino. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's good. Uh, Carlito's way. Very good. Carlito's way. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I actually, I, I ended up liking him a lot. Like, I didn't like him when I was uh, younger. I ended up liking him later. Um, I really still, I think his best movie is still The Untouchables, which is just a great Hollywood movie. It's an awesome yeah, Western style. But anyway, so the if you want to compare Dress to Kill, which is trash, uh, fun trash, but trash, uh, where it's like, it's just like, here's Andrew Dickinson naked and in the shower and having a fantasy. Having right? an orgasm. Like, yeah, basically, <laughs> like, this is, like, it looks like soft porn from Cinemax circa 1997. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, with so, the music and yeah, everything. It's, it's, like, like, it's like, it's lavish trash, right? Whereas, like, the opening of Bonnie and Clyde, it, yeah, like it's sultry, has no nudity whatsoever. It's only suggested. No, I mean, it's suggested nudity. It's, yeah, you, very well, like it's on. It's you, on. The, uh, they yeah. do the perfect thing where it's she's. Teased. You know, she's very sexy. You know, she's naked, but you don't see any specific things that would be considered nudity. Right, and it's always like like everything is just just out of frame, or she runs and like whatever it is, and like it's and right. teases the audience very successfully. It's shot yeah. beautifully, so that it feels very like sort of cramped and hot and like it's awesomely done and then outside she the looks window, like a frustrated bored teenager which yes, is pretty much what, she, what she was right <laughs> and so like and then so when she looks out the window to see clyde clyde barrow shows up he's there to steal her mom's car right and right. uh and clyde is instantly like like the focus of her attention in every way. She's just like, I'm right, a- because she's pretty much naked at the window saying, are you trying to steal my mom's car? You can't, again, you can't see everything, but you know, she's naked. Yeah, exactly. And he looks at her like, what is my luckiest <laughs> man in the world? What happened? And like, and they play this whole thing from that to, uh, whether walking down the street as essentially almost like it's a play. Like it feels very Tennessee Williams in the way that it sort it of does. Just, That's a good know? way to put it. And it's so like and like it and it keeps the camera close. It's like if like you cut in on something. It's not like you know like it doesn't open up and well, say the like, environment does help. It, the, the art direction had a very much yeah. No, I'm going to bring this up. It's like you're, you're no, hold, let Eric talk. Yeah, no, I just <laughs> I just wanted to, to just to put a cap, to put a cap on what I was saying. That's what I was leading up to. It's like everything is very very close. It keeps it very tight and personal. All these two and uh, and what's it uh. uh the, the art director is actually quite famous for this movie. I can't think of his name. Uh, Tableros. Uh, Bugsby or Buzz? Um, I think it was uh, Dean Tableros. But it, it's like one was of the it Dean? Yeah, I th- I, maybe. I may be wrong about that. But it's one of the greatest. I could, no, it is. Because um, Dean eventually worked for him forever. Uh, for what's his name? For Penn? No. Uh, Warren. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, I like, think, the, the uh, yeah. to lead into what you're saying is like, there's such a story happening in the background of this movie. It's insane. Like there's two movies happening. Dean Tavaralis. Tavaleris. Tavaleris. Dean Tavaleris. Huge. Yep. I think yep. he's passed. I believe so, yeah. 
but like this is the, this is the thing is like what and what you're saying art direction wise is like there is the thing that's happening up close in super close ups and all these very tight edits alive. and then well, he should be dead and the, and then there's the movie that is happening behind the close up movie that you're getting glimpses of the whole time and they this also is, did the godfather for god's sakes the yeah, conversation the warren Beatty. who's the guy that did the warren Beatty uh comic book dick tracy dick tracy yeah dick tracy he might have done dick tracy he did rumble fish piggy sue got married yeah he's been around forever, forever. uh jesus christ this guy's credits are ridiculous he yeah he was a big deal apocalypse now <laughs> yeah but this is yeah. like that's the like the the greatness i'm sure you'd agree eric of great art direction is making a movie in the background of the movie yeah absolutely telling the story we talked about this when we did uh when we did um uh uh the world according to garp eric brought this up when he's like all the things in her room are stories about her about her right. like the boat and the thing and the you know you're right eric remember like that was Something you brought up that was so specific about art direction and, you know, considering your background. Yeah, no, 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 I, I agree. I felt like it was, it was very stupid. It was very much like theater, but also that's the 30s. And 30s has always been kind of pulled from um, in terms of that kind of, I love the art direction in the movie, in both movies, actually, because it is that kind of Americana. You mm -hmm. feel like it's a... Not so much a hopper painting, but it's definitely got that kind of um, just the classic with the colonnades and, and, and the big, the cool fonts on the windows. But it does feel like a, a Tennessee Williams play. Yeah. And there's a wonderful, I also think the way it was shot, uh, particularly that with the way that kind of yellowy sunlight was mm -hmm. perfect for. Yeah, the uh, color timing on the movie is particularly fantastic. Like they really got this like good, deep, deep contrast like really like deep black levels and then the brights are like incredibly warm and satisfying and these crystal blues behind it but there's so much shadow it feels creepy like it's really it's, yeah, yeah. it's a really weird look like it looks like it's trying to be happy but there's a lot of heavy heavy grit it's trying shadow. to be happy yeah but like yeah no the yeah. like the, the that that scene when they're walking down the street like you start to see more and more of the identity of the world peeking in around the corners. Like you see the shops behind, like rundown closed shops, abandoned cars, all this kind of stuff. While they're just while they're basically having the sex talk, right? Yeah. And so like they're having this very distra distracting, sweaty, flirty business happening right up front. And in the background, you're like, what the fuck is up with where they're living? Like it looks like a devastated landscape well that's well, also... i don't know if it looked i don't know if it looks devastated i think it looks right it's 19 what's was it 20s 30. or 30s this is i think it's, I think it's, it's post crash it's the 30s in the depression yeah, yeah. right okay so it's it's the transition between those the western towns you know the frontier towns and becoming because it's supposed to be west dallas right yeah so i mean it, it's not necessarily devastated it's just sleepy it's not much going well it's, it's also like it's also like there's rotted like there's closed stores and rotted because so, what happened in 2019 is, is the bank crash that destroyed everything right. and took over took away everyone's houses like right and and so this becomes like the backstory of the movie that kind of gets addressed but is really richly present 
I also feel like that is or could be the film that really kind of, because there was always this 20s, 30s vibe in the 70s, mm -hmm. and, and particularly the 30s, and a lot of the films after, like The Sting, everything had that same type of um, kind of, uh, you know, the 20s, 30s Americana vibe. And uh, mm -hmm. like those downtown, and that really was like in my memory, you know, like the Great Wall of Pepper, the Sting, like, and even bands. I know, like, Alice Cooper pulled a lot from that 30s vibe, right? And bands started, you know, the gangster thing with the, with the big car and the machine guns, and all of that really came from in striped like, suits, yeah, in Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this today. It's like, it, because this movie, you know, I, I hadn't seen it in forever. Honestly speaking, guys, I haven't seen this in forever. I saw it a long time ago. And to me, it just seemed like a funky, you know, I think I was too young at the time or something. Mm -hmm. It just seemed like a funky gangster film, right? Right. And, you know, obviously it had a lot more violence. But when I saw it, violence of that nature was more normal than it was back then, which really shocked people. Um but what was interesting is seeing that and then thinking about uh, Badland mm -hmm. and Badland is a all, very similar story, right? Yep. But told in a, in a very different way, you know, obviously a decade or so later, mm -hmm. but uh, what's interesting about it is that Badland, you know, is like Bonnie and Clyde taking place when Bonnie and Clyde was filmed, <laughs> Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It's like this weird thing where like they're both, you know, looking at a retro version of Americana, mm -hmm. but you know, Badland is just in the 50s and Bonnie and Clyde is in the 30s, right? Yeah. Right. And it was just something very there's so many similarities to it and I'm almost, you know, almost positive that you know when uh, what's uh was it uh, Soderbergh? I think Soderbergh did mm -hmm. uh, Badland, right? No, it's um, um uh Soderbergh is that uh, rather um uh, what's his name? Malik did Badlands. Uh, yes, Malik. Sorry, yeah, that's right. Malik, uh, Terrence Malik did uh, did Badlands, and it's like I'm sure he was looking at Bonnie and Clyde as the oh, model yeah, that he doubt. wanted to do, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's it's just really interesting. Um, but anyway, you're right. Well, it's okay, also so playing off that environment. You can get a lot of room off of that environment. I even think something like um, you know Spielberg's first film. Oh yeah, hmm. we, yeah, that's one of my favorite. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Yeah. Because they're always on the run, and they make like yeah, and this there's a lot. You're absolutely well, right. and and so like with a uh, yeah, uh, and being what, trapped, the trap, the trap, the yep. ending of both is like not, yeah. Spoiler alert, we'll get there, but but yeah, so like because <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, what's that? It's a uh, uh, Spielberg's first film is Goldie Hawn, a Sugarland uh, Express, Sugarland Express. So Sugarland Express, first official Hollywood theatrical film. Yeah, because when we Express. when we when we talked about Sugarland, like. I was blown away by it. I hadn't seen it in a long time and I was really blown yeah. away by it. And especially by how Spielberg uh, creates the sense of real towns and real people in those towns. Like, like the way yep. he populates the, like the whole rich backstory that you're seeing constantly in the background of the film is like, it's insane. And like, you look at that, you look at Badlands does this also very successfully. And you look at Bonnie and Clyde and all these movies have like um, very believable settings essentially. Right. Um, but what's really fascinating about Bonnie and Clyde is that Bonnie and Clyde is largely very empty, yet still very believable. Like, there's not a lot of people in the movie. Like, there's cops, there's them. And when they're in towns, especially in that opening, like, there's a 
couple of people on the streets. Like it's very, very, it's very vast and very empty and very lonely all the time without yeah. breaking the sense of reality. Yes. But I mean, in when they get to the other towns, when they get to the one where you know with the parallel parking scene. Oh yeah, that's great. It's good. Absolutely, that, that is crowded for a reason. Oh yeah, right? and it's it's completely right. hectic, right? It's completely yes. Hectic. Um, yeah, but large in a very town smooth. in New Delhi somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, like the so the like you compare like there's in that opening scene, there's almost nobody else around anywhere. There's right. almost no one else around. Yeah, and, yeah, it might as yeah, well be like tumbleweeds going exactly. across. Because this, yeah. is, this is a dying town, right? That's what it feels like. And Well, you know, I th- yeah. yes. And they say, they say that as part of her narrative. Like you work, no, she works as a waitress, which by the way, he guesses her entire whole backstory and right. her whole backstory and says it to her and she doesn't deny it. Here's the question for you. Here's the question for you. What makes you think he didn't see her and followed her home? And as soon as he followed her home, he saw the mother's Very car. Very possible. I didn't even think sure. about that. Yeah, I think, yeah, it could be true. Like, yeah, I think that, like, what, what Chris would. Say. I always felt that. I always felt that he was yeah. he was that type. He's stalking and, her and then using that he, information to. Yeah, and then, to, oh, to and then but he gets distracted by the car. He's right. like, you know, I could probably steal this. Right. And then that could be true. Yeah. Then he kind of gets it closer to her, and he's like, you know what? I like you. And then he just totally right. bullshits in her hallway, hustles her. I think, I think well, he, she's she's intrigued by the bad boy. Well, she's intrigued by two things. One, she's obviously very horny. We established mm-hmm. that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. She looks at him. He's very hot. So this, you know, combined with the, right. her horniness is attracting him. Mm-hmm. But she's got the classic young girl likes the bad boy situation. Of course. Right. right. Now, just what's like interesting an easy is that. Writer. Just like an easy rider, and we'll get to that. <laughs> no, no, let's talk about it now. Yes, yeah. I know what you're saying. But, but so, and you're right, you're right. But she, she basically, you know, it's the, the bad boyness of someone from out of town, right? Exactly, right. And so that's the thing that's exciting to her. So, that he, um, he represents uh, life energy in a dead place, right? And the during, the that, during the depression, or actually just worldliness, and you yeah, actually exactly left that. your town right. and you don't have a family because right. everything that they stick around is because of the family. Mm-hmm. And it's like right. almost like, wow, you don't have a family and right. you don't have an obligation to them. Yeah, exactly. Because right. that's what keeps them there. Right. And then and like if you stay here, you, you're just going to like you like when he recites to her what her, her entire life is like, he's basically saying. Like, you know, your entire life already, you may as well be dead. Like, this is so easy to predict what your state is and what your history is. I predicted where you've come so far. It's so easy for me to say where you're going to go from here. Yeah, exactly. And so like, like, and the thing is like that, like, this is what, why it's connecting with the audience is because like, there is this, you know, people that are watching this movie are in the most constricted, conservative, popular environment you can imagine. You know, uh, and you see this and even though Warren Beatty is dressed comparatively conservatively, but what he's saying is like, why don't you fucking leave all this behind and break out and have a life that we don't know what it's going to happen. Well, yes, yes, but I'm not, I'm going to fight back on it. He doesn't actually say that because he's not the wise guy. He's actually kind of a naive little nothing. Yeah, I'm, yeah. So, I'm not, I'm not saying because he doesn't actually he doesn't do anything 
until she pokes the bear and keeps taunting him. Yeah, right? I think she I think all that like, stuff no, that it's he, like it's like I went to jail. I was a bad guy. And I, like, because he he's sure you were. And so that's a substitute for his penis. Is this bravado? Your app, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what. Gonna, that's why the stroking the gun scene happens, right, in the street, right? You know? So he takes the he shows her that he's got a gun in it on uh, on him, and she's like, "You wouldn't dare use that." So she's constantly like taunting right. him, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah. they so they, just, they become each other's mechanism to get over where they're at, right? Know? Like and to so just go for the penalty." And, he, that, and so he's a, he doesn't want to do anything because he just got out of jail, which we well, found out. He but. likes he likes being the like uh, she says it when it's just like, oh man, like you like you sure have a uh, you're sure a great salesman. It's you know, but le- le- little do people know you have nothing to sell, right? And she's talking right. about sex in that particular instance, but that actually is she nails exactly who he is. Like she does, she doesn't like, realize that until he, later. Like he uh, he <laughs> is coming he is coming on like I'm the new I'm the new I'm so slick and I'm amazing, but. You're right. He's a fucking dim. He's basically a dimwit. You know, he's like this, this right. little, little little kid energy. You know, doesn't got, really. And so she only he only does is like, I dare you not to throw the rock in the river. No, yeah, exactly. I dare you. It's basically like little kid talk, really. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so he's like, okay, fine. And so he just runs across the empty street to the general store and robs it. <laughs> right. And, and and then when they finally go and rob their first bank, walks in, goes and like you can tell he's never fucking done this before. Like he just bursts and goes, okay, everybody, and there's nobody there. Like there's nobody in the fucking bank at all, and there's one teller, and the teller's like, "Bank closed, like we cut closed down like two weeks ago. The we got shut down, you know." And you're like, "What the fuck is everybody?" And there's just nobody there. There's no money to be stolen, nothing. And he asked the guy to come out and explain. Well, no, more more specifically, he said, "I saw the bank. It's going to be a real easy bank to hit." Yeah, because it's empty. It's fucking. And empty he doesn't realize that that's why it's easy because there's no one there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, like this is like the, they really do this amazing. Uh, like I think the, the the reason why people connected with it is because the world is so successfully drawn as a real place, but it also feels desperate and empty and weird, which is I think how I would feel in the 1950s. <laughs> like, right. what the fuck is this place? You know, right. and and but, you and you, if you compare like like you brought up when you brought up uh, the Sting, like compare the 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 realness of the Sting versus the realness of this, like. This thing feels like a Star Trek episode that you can't believe is like, it, like it's absolutely backstage fake, right? Yeah. And they got shitloads of people in costume in that movie. It's not that it's a bad movie, but it's not like I fucking believe it for an instant, like not even one bit. Well, that's you know? it's theater. It's theater as opposed you know? to yeah, this. Feels this like feels like shot like an, on a universal lot for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but, but but this with the, with less people, they make it more believable. Like a, it's a the, yeah. the world buy-in is just complete for Bond, but it's really wild. All right. So just to, to to continue with the plot, after they he robs the, the 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 convenience store in her town, he robs a car, grabs her. They get in the car and they drive to like quote unquote get away. At which point now, her horniness goes into overdrive, and while he's driving to escape, she is jumping all over him, trying to make out with him. At which point, <laughs> he's like, "Yes, but also, I'm not a lover boy." He says the weirdest things to get. Yeah, if you want, if you want a stud, then go get a stud. But I'm not a lover boy, right? Right. um, You know, he basically kind of pushes her away, and she's like, "What the?" But I'm not gay, is what he said. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm also I'm not gay is another big thing he says, and she is. And as soon as he says it, he hits his head on the car. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think the 
the that can you imagine like the people who's like the traditional hollywood people like what the fuck what yeah. is this like this is not a what masculine guy at all like like you can't yeah fucking... no 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 wait you got warren Beatty. he's supposed to be the symbol of this could never have been done without warren Beatty. oh yeah Beatty's, no. and he's trying to but I mean, like that's that's the thing it's like he is he is anti-sexy in this movie like he fights against it right you know what's it he didn't direct this but he is pretty much the champion of this movie yes i'm like Right. Yeah. Yes, Pen, Penn's a good. He produced it, and he was the one who got it through Hollywood. He's the one who did all this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Warren Beatty is 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 really one of the great producers ever. Yes, yeah, he's really really incredible. And I like agree he is, he was he is completely hands on involved creatively in the making of all of his movies. You know, shampoo, everything like this, and like he has a thing that he wants to say, and he's going to make it happen. And uh, so, like uh, Arthur Penn's a very good director, uh, and that's why the movie is good. But uh, the reason why it's saying what it's saying is because of Beatty. Like, Beatty has right. big ideas. Yep. Yep. Bye. So, at which big point, ideas, we're, we're, baby. We're kind of in the situ- same situation as Badland, where he basically takes the girl and they drive off, and now it turns into a road film, which, by the way, is, I think, one of the, as you guys know, I know, I know Eric likes his heist films. I like my road films. Like, road films right. to me are my genre of my guilty pleasure like anything that involves a journey through situations and you have these stops that right. that incorporate things and is really kind of the best of all of this so their first stop is in an abandoned house now you can imagine this is the like you said during the depression there's a lot of houses like mm-hmm. uh What's you remember during the crash here, the, the foreclosure house, the mansions and the subdivisions that yeah, are the all McMansions, abandoned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The McMansions that are all abandoned. That's basically basically what happened there. But these are all, you know, the heart soul of America, the dust bowl, the, the Yeah, all the these farmers. farmers lost literally everything. Everything, everything they all had. Yeah. yeah, and so they're sitting in this basically abandoned farm and uh they're sleeping there and you know rough accommodations shall we say so she's you know the beautiful fade Dunaway sleeping on like basically a a, a seat cushion yep. um and he's outside practicing his uh his uh, uh his uh pistol revolver right and uh, uh by the way i heard that the real clyde clyde burrows was an incredibly good gunman like shot I believe it. like it yeah. was yeah. very threatening right also, and, the, the real Bonnie and Clyde were fucking sociopathic murderers. <laughs> like they were, they were, they were, they were very bad people. This movie is right, completely divorced from that reality. Yeah, Does but. divorce from the reality of that, which is a hundred percent true. And I think yeah. that was something that was, you know, along the same lines of what's the uh, uh, Butch Cassidy and Dance Kid, where we romanticize these. Yeah, people, right. This, yeah. this is a totally made up version of these these two. There's nothing to do with it. For sure. For yep. sure. Yep. And so while they're there, they, uh, they, uh, another interesting scene. So it's not a necessarily a big scene or doesn't have relevance to the rest of the movie, but they do run into basically the, the I call them the grapes of wrath people, right? With the, right. <laughs> the, this is one of my the, favorite scenes. Uh, amazing scene. That's actually funny. Amazing- that's my favorite scene of the movie is where he goes. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and they all give him stuff. Like it says so much about where the country, they got screwed and they're heroes. Right. right. So they're sitting there. They're obviously squatting a house, and the guy shows up in a truck with a bunch of crap in there, and they they've got their guns. It's oh, like, no, no, that's no, not no. your favorite scene. You're talking about the guy with the family, right? 
I'm talking about Hamlin. Yeah. No, I was the one with where he's they're injured later in the movie and oh, yeah. pulls up and asks for water. That's my favorite yep. scene. That's oh yeah, actually yeah, that's way that's, later. We haven't got to that. Yeah, yet. we haven't gotten to that. That is my other favorite scene. <laughs> like that's yes. an incredible yeah. scene. Incredible sequence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so but but yes, yeah, so that uh so they show up and the guy says, No, 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 I don't wanna you know, you don't need to uh uh you don't need to pay me. Uh, or it's like I says, I used to own this place, but I don't own it anymore. The bank owns it. They took everything. You're welcome to stay. I just want to have one last look. That's basically what the guy says is me. And this is another cool thing. I like it. Me and Ed or whatever the guy is, who's this old black guy shows yeah. up. was like, and we did were, everything here. Right. They basically ran the farm together. Yeah. Like, it's like, we, we started this from nothing mm-hmm. and now it's all there. Right. right. And right. They're basically what I liked about it is it's, you know, you, you kind of acknowledged the importance of the poor black and the poor white man working They're, together. They are poor people at that level, right? But the, like, they are the is, poorest of the poor at the yeah. time, right? Like th- this is the like I I think that this this was, actually this scene really struck me, um, watching it uh, this time just because I was like, we have been like I think I mean I think that it's like it's very important to talk about like how deep racism runs. It's very important to talk about like. These are like these are real, real, real terrible things that are still true in the country today. However, I really believe that we have been successfully manipulated by large yep. corporations to fight amongst ourselves. So we do yes. not realize that we are all on, like that we're on the Being same side. Yeah, oh, like, screw uh, you, Dan! Like, like You're such a like, fucking communist. Okay. <laughs> like, like this scene All right. where I'm just like, go back yeah. to your. But you know what I thought no, was really strange? go back to your Marx is when that, Marxist. <laughs> exactly. Is when when they were shooting at the house. They were there, mm-hmm. and he was angry at the bank. He turns to Warren Beatty. He says, "I'm heading west, and I'm I'm going to start have my own podcast." And he yeah. looked at him like, "What?" And how sure prophetic. I mean, <laughs> that's basically that, that is how, that's how Mark Marin started. Like Mark Marin was the little boy in the back of that truck. That's that, right. Like, was set that, yeah. yeah, that's right. Grapes of wrath, mm-hmm. Mark Marin. That's true. It's like WTF, Bonnie and Clyde. Why the fuck are you shooting your house up? <laughs> exactly. I looked at interview for three hours. But yeah, yeah no, that's, but that's the thing. It's just like, I, I think that there's a, like this movie recognizes an economic truth that uh, we, do not tend to recognize that. Well, what it, this did, this particular scene did, that was I'm thinking important is that it basically made them the hero of the underclass, right? Yes. And I think that was the point. Like the banks took everything. It was the depression. Fuck the banks. Right. Fuck the corporations. He literally gives the old farmer the gun so he can shoot the repossession sign in sign. front of the house. Yeah. Right. And he does the same thing to the old black man and they all have this weird smile on their face and they walk off into the sunset, right? Yeah. Which is kind of the symbol. It's like, okay, yeah. so they're not suddenly that takes these two characters that are these punk kids that they basically are hooligans and takes them into they're heroes of the people in some yeah. ways. They're going to start they, because that, you, that actually did happen with these guys. Like it did. Yeah. That, that, that part's it true. absolutely did. They were, yeah. they were, they were revered as, as well, the same thing with, uh, they did the same thing in Sugarland express. Yep. Yep. Where they're yep. basically like handing them fucking stuffed animals as they're yep. driving through the towns. Right. So, so essentially yeah. Sugarland express is, um, you know, Bonnie Clyde part two. Yeah. 
yeah, it exactly. is. And so is, and so is, so is Badland. I mean, this is Bonnie and Clyde is kind of like it, like, Oh, it's funny. It's almost like, you know, when, when Karen had never seen 2001 until way later in her life, but she'd seen everything that was influenced in every parody of 2001 ever made. And so when she actually saw it, it just didn't, it had this weird resonance to her because it wasn't new or fresh. It was right. just looked like a parody of itself in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, all these things right? have been done in this SNL sketches. Right. That's right. 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 And so, so it's like, you know, you want to do whatever scene of, uh, you know, or or you're watching the monkeys with the with the uh, uh, the apes with the with the monolith. She just thinks of like uh, uh, history of the world with Mel Brooks. You know, right. like it's like oh shit. You know, so I, I get it. But Bonnie and Clyde, it, like if you try to really look at this film, you realize like no, nothing had ever been done like this before. Then it's really, this is it's the really one that intense. made everything else. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I mean, because like, like they, uh, I, I was actually I mean, at, this is a surprise to no one. I'm a, a huge Michael Mann fan. And I think one of his most underrated oh. movies is uh, Public Enemies with Johnny Depp, which is the John Dillinger movie. And John Dillinger has the same arc, where it's just like he is celebrated by the poor as a champion against the banks who were yeah. screwing right. him over. Like a Robin and, Hood scenario. Like a Robin Hood-style thing. And mm. uh, when I was watching this, I was like, especially there's that, the, 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 the first really big gunfight they get into at the house, like where it's like cops have shown up and it's like, it's really super intense. I was watching this. I'm like, this not only reminds me like Michael Mann obviously pulled from this for public enemies, which makes sense, but it also clearly influenced this single scene influenced a lot of the famous gunfight in heat. I was like, oh, yeah, this shot and that shot. And that like, this are like straight up. I was just like, Oh shit. Like this must be Michael yeah. Mann's favorite movies. I love I that. Really, book, dude. I am. Isn't it fucking three quarters of the way? Yeah, oh, it's so good. Did so you finish it? I'm not done yet. No, I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm, I'm basically right where you are. And it's, it's terrific, man. Holy shit. What a, it's it, hard to okay. put down. Heat two, by okay. the way, all this right. is what we're talking about right there. If they could buy that book, it's incredible. Heat two. There it is. That's all right. It. All right. All right. Well, we gotta get to the, We got a lot to go through guys. Yep. And we're still like at the first Keep going. three scenes. Take away. First movie. All right. So, um, so basically they start going on their crime spree. We already talked about the fact that they failed attempt to rob a bank, but they still keep going. And they keep robbing cars, et cetera, et cetera. They go into a car, uh, into a garage to get the car taken care of, and they're met by what's the guy's name? Uh, the actor. The, the actor, Luke yeah. Costello. Who, it's uh, hang on, I'll look that up for you. Uh, Michael Michael Pollard. Michael Pollard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I love who that guy. Plays the character of C. W. Moss, and he is great. And you've you've seen him in a ton of movies. He's not. He did get nominated for an Oscar for this role. Um, but he, he's actually been a multiple character. He was actually, I was thinking, I was like, I've seen him in a million. Like the one I remembered him was Scrooge. He was one of the homeless people in Scrooge. Yeah, uh, exactly. Sure. But and he was in Roxanne as well. Remember the movie Roxanne? Like that was, a fun uh, I think, I think yeah, he was. most, I think that most people he passed in 2019 in LA. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, he was he great. He was in, um, uh, uh, Star Trek also. He's, uh, right. Yeah, he's uh, like so. You, he's one of those guys. You're like, I know I've seen him, but you know, it's because we saw that episode of Star Trek twelve times, right? But that's so he about. is. A, he's a very interesting character. But basically, he plays uh, uh, someone young in this one, right? Who's uh, mm -hmm. just a a kid at a gas station, and they convince him to sort of 
join their gang because, because he's good with cars. Because he's good with cars and they need getaway car situation, yeah. right? They need a driver for the bank situation, right? Uh, and so they're like, yeah. And so he's, he sort of joins their gang and gets involved with them. At which point, they get to their next bank heist that they're going to do. And it's in a busy town. We kind of hinted at this before. It's in a busier town. They do their bank heist. They get the money. But he gets distracted by something because he sees a like, good parking space. He's really he excited. So that. right, that's what. But it is. he wants to spy yeah. on a girl too. Yeah, he's like, is it a spy on a girl? Yeah, yeah. There's so, a girl so, that's so walking. Right, and so and he's, he and he's and, looking at it, checking her out. So he he look he's he's in the middle of the street and cars are driving around him. So he, he's fine and he's right there in front of the back. But he sees a good parking space and he parallel parks the car. Yeah, he's like out oh, of sweet. sight. <laughs> so wait for them. Like, like I think like, anybody like, in like LA could uh, relate to him. <laughs> like, like you're going to the pharmacy to pick up your medications. Like I'm going to take that parking space while I'm waiting because I don't know how long they're going to be. Yeah, here. I mean, like, like no, I'm you're not, robbing it, a bank, buddy. You're not in, in his position. I may have done the same. If I were, if I'm in, <laughs> if I'm in like West Hollywood and I see an open parking space, even if I'm leaving, I'll park there just for five minutes just to go. Thank God. <laughs> this oh is God. what it's like to get a parking space in Los Angeles. This is amazing. And then leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my friend when we were like, <laughs> like he were driving around Paris and he was like, oh my God, a parking space. No, let's park the car and take the subway home. Oh my it's God. It's, it's so exciting. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. true. Actually. It's Christmas in July. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so anyway, uh, he, um, uh, uh, he, he basically parks the car. They get out of the bank and they're like, where the fuck's the car? Right. They find the car. They get in the car and then he can't get out of the parking space because it's too tight. <laughs> so good. And it gets ramming. There was into a little the bit guy. of a Woody like, Allen with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like parking the cross and bananas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Or it's the, what's the, uh, the Austin Powers with a little thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And they're like, get out of here. We just robbed the bank. At which point they're all running out of the bank. The bank manager sees them and is trying to get like, get that car, grab the car. And he jumps onto the car. He's holding onto the side of the, the bank manager is holding on the side of the car. At which point Clyde takes his gun and shoots the guy in the face. Yeah. And fucking blows his head off. Like, yeah. like Blows his head damn, off. Right. Dude. Yikes. And this is the first, this is the first real sign of physical violence and yeah. horror. Yeah. And it's pretty graphic. It's there's a lot of well, know, it's, it's like there's. I mean, it's obviously like Hollywood blood at the time, but the, like yeah, it's, which is like, very red. <laughs> the, the the editing is so abrasive because it's like you see the gun come up and then you see it just you hear the sound of the gun go off and it cuts to the guy's face pressed up against the glass of the door with a bullet hole already in it and his face is just red and then you're and like it's just and there's jarring. a splat all over yeah. the glass yeah yeah it's extremely yeah. jarring and uh and yep. it's such a massive tonal shift from even the scene you're in like the scene is like oh you can't yeah, because you just parking. came from like a comedy skit of the parallel yeah. parking and then someone's this face gets getting blown fucking off. head gets just blown throughout his body it's and then so jarring like <laughs> and this is the the violence in this movie like i don't like obviously we've seen way more violent things since then i don't know what it would i have no idea what it would have been like to be a regular theater movie moviegoer and see this in that context like that's why they went to the theater after do you notice that Uh, yeah oh yeah that's right they go to the the movie theater that's a great point that's a great Uh, point that's right eric 
Yeah, it's and like, they're it's, watching a movie about the super wealthy in the 30s, right? Yeah, it's like we're in the money, we're yeah. in the money. Yep, uh, yep. Gold Diggers of 1942, by the way, 19, 1932. Okay, That's all right. right, okay, this is all, okay, let's put this in context. The guy gets his head blown off. Warren Beatty, this is the first person he's ever murdered. Mm-hmm. He's very upset about it. He feels it could have been avoided if the guy didn't fucking parallel park the car. <laughs> exactly dude right <laughs> bonnie is like what the fuck just happened just well she's the one she's like grow up you assholes like they're like every, yeah. they're freaking yeah, out it's gonna happen eventually like, <laughs> yeah, exactly what do you think we are we're bank robbers <laughs> like this is sort of right yeah. and so they escape and you're absolutely right so 1930s they go into a movie and they're watching what was it called? Gold Diggers of 19... 19- yes, I think it's Gold, gold Diggers of 1932. I've already... 1922. Uh, uh, okay. It's uh, the we're in the money, the skies are sunny, which is like... It's hilarious to me that all those movies... All it's those a movie... Movies, yeah, that's like, about it's, like being it's rich. A, it's a great... During the Depression. During the... This is what happened because people were fantasizing about yeah. money. Like, this is it. Like, this is what they... They're like, I want to go to the theater so I can... Uh, have an imaginary experience, right? That's why you and watch the Kardashians. That's why I watch just, the Kardashians. Obviously, I want to be like, I want to have their skincare regimen. <laughs> I want to feel like exactly. them. And that's where that's why. Look at this, Sean. Look at that. It's amazing. I never even thought about that, Eric. I didn't think about the association of the 1930s, you know, <laughs> overly romanticized thing. Yeah. What's funny, and they, I guess, with the Kardashians, you're absolutely right. They try to put them into these quote unquote real life arguments so that makes them feel like they're just like they're, me. They're relatable. Like they're <laughs> like relatable. You exactly. are not even remotely on the same plane of existence as these people. It's nope. not even true. But yeah, like that's the thing. It's like and the beauty of like like the judge I'd never realized it they pointed out like that they go into a movie theater immediately to to process what happened is in a fantasy land. That, fucking fantasy land you're right oh shit we just experienced something that has absolutely never been done in hollywood yeah we're very upset about it we're in the money (laughs) eric you pointed you're absolutely right that's brilliant (laughs) yeah that's brilliant uh i also i i just got a text um i want to thank um uh uh disco paco for coming because i actually know who this is my friend franco uh who is uh, on a, a movie site that i'm on and thank you very much for coming, my man. This is really exciting. Uh, and, uh, and please uh, spread the word. I hope you're having a good time. But thanks for the text. That's totally awesome. Yeah, no, like, I think that that's the, that's the sort of genius. That's also something that um, uh, Michael Mann echoes in Public Enemies because he makes a meal out of the uh, Dillinger going to the movie theater before he's killed. So, like, there's, like, both these movies make a real connection for the audience of, like, what you are doing right now is, a, it has symbolic weight. like. You are seeing this this movie about the 1930s, but really you're processing something that is really happening for you. I tell you another movie that does the exact same gag. Singing in the Rain. Oh, Brother, We're Out. Oh, Brother, We're Out There. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's totally awesome. Do not seek the treasure. (laughs) I thought he was Toad. (laughs) Do not seek the treasure. (laughs) (laughs) So awesome, dude. But yeah, no, I love Hail Caesar. You guys told me to watch that. I love that film. Oh Isn't that great? That's so I, great. What's funny is I didn't really love that movie the first time I saw it. I was like, yeah, I guess no, it's you right. gotta you kind of get into it. No, man, I've seen it like forty times. Now. If it was so simple, that whole scene. I got to not to go off on a whole thing, but I just I just watched it again like last week. My favorite, the best comic performer in that scene is uh, the hunky guy. 
is is the girl, the woman that he is supposed to be having the scene with. Uh, her icy stare is the funniest thing in the scene for me because, like, she's like, "Oh, it's so great to see you." Cut, and then she's looking at him like, "I fucking hate you." <laughs> it's absolutely yep. priceless every single time. Anyway, sorry to ramp on. Okay. That. So, so now, so now we've established that they are now murderers and they've, uh, scaled up a little bit in their, in their situation. So they try to escape. Obviously at this point, they realize they're more, they're more than just bank robbers. They're now bigger shots than that. And they are, uh, they go to a house and (laughs) Gene Hackman shows up. Yeah. He's great. The brother. That's right. Uh, the brother with uh, with Estelle Parson, who plays Blanche. Yeah. Uh, and she, I was trying to like, I thought you like, want to punch her. That voice. Oh, she's, yeah, she's, <laughs> she. <laughs> so her voice, her voice is perfect. It is just. By the way, she uh, was nominated and I believe won an Oscar one for, for this, this yeah. role. That's right. Yeah, right? she's. I mean, and the thing is, she is legitimately great but she is also fantastically annoying like that's her job in the, in the horrible movie. her yeah. job is to yeah. basically be the 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 in-law that you hate yes and she nails the, it the, yeah the the son-in-law or the the brother-in-law and she's she's a she's a uh in in integrity free despicable person like yes. She is dismissed like she and she meets Cl- uh, Bonnie and Clyde and uh, and uh, Pollard like she is. She could not be more disgusted with these people like, oh, I have to. Well, I she's can't a believe- preacher's wife. Right? Yes. Do you like, know where she's is- from, Dan? No. Lynn, Massachusetts. Hmm. Lynn, Lynn City of Sin. So she was also a, she was also a character on Frasier that was hilarious. No, she's awesome. She's a great actor. Yeah. Yeah. She Absolutely she uh, she. Oh, my god she her and and uh she was like the most perfect cast character on she's like one episode one show she plays a neighbor of of fraser and it's just the funniest thing everything is a metaphor to, anyway yeah. that's where i recognized her voice is like yeah. because i love that character on fraser i was like oh my god and she's obviously so much younger but she still has the same voice that she played 40 years later but she's basically so gene ackman is um uh, Clyde's brother, mm-hmm. Buck, Buck, uh, and uh, they're both goofy, stupid characters. And obviously, that got involved in law. He is the older brother, and they sort of join the gang in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, I'm trying to accelerate through the plot a little bit because I'm trying to get um, yep. conscious of time. Um, join the gang uh, in a lot of ways, but. Uh, Blanche is obviously reluctant to it, but she stays with whatever Buck says, right? And so Buck has this problem because, like, Blanche is my wife, <laughs> and then Clyde has this problem because it's like Bonnie's my. And she's try- they're both trying to make peace a peace out with everyone, right? right? And but, like initially, it, like Bonnie hates her. Bonnie, Bonnie hates Bonnie Blanche. And Blanche hate each other. Yeah, yeah. And Bonnie really hates Blanche. Like she's fine with everyone else, but Blanche is like the Fucking, there's a and did you know michael pollard was on uh the andy griffith show he played barney fife's cousin virgil uh, wow yeah. oh really yeah, that back. makes sense that's funny that's funny yeah pollard was around for a long time that dude he's just one of those character yeah. actors who shows up forever but yeah like uh, uh there's a there's a line that bonnie says about blanche that wraps the uh is what it's it's such a flawless line like 
where she goes like uh claude's like what's your problem huh because she's flipping out about how annoying blanche is and she goes she's my problem right and it immediately goes into Clyde saying back to her like what do you even know you're a a know-nothing girl from podunk town and etc etc and so what she is saying is like this is who i could have been like this is basically represents she represents who i who i don't want to be who this is who i i'm trying to avoid becoming like she i like what's my problem she like she is my problem like within me (laughs) and i'm just like that's just a sharp sharp bit of screenwriting and like and they i I actually uh, i thought i thought faye denaway's performance was Oh, she's terrific. It's actually amazing in this film. Yeah, she's terrific. It's really good. Because it, you know, that's the th- other thing that I think was, was interesting is that while she has all these things where she's taunting the boy and she does all her teenager thing, she's actually unbelievably empowered in this film. Yeah, oh, she's, and she's in control she's of the very, very sympathetic towards Blanche at the end. She yeah, really exactly. takes right. over. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really interesting. They're like, they're, their character, it's a great point. Like, their character are together is really it's very gently drawn so like she understands this more as it goes along and i think you're right like like uh dunaway really powers the movie she's in control of where the movie goes because she's, well, she's the, the smartest person in the room easily easily like, easily. That, like with it with a baby and uh and hackman like it's actually a really wonderful uh characterization of the like, you get a lot of sense of history between them uh mm-hmm. and like how they interact and how they sort of like they're too old to be horse playing the way they're doing. And they kind of know that, but they do it anyway to kind of keep it up, you know? And like, there's the, the scene when like they're first catching up and you can tell that they want to talk about more serious things, but they get afraid to do that. So then they start joking again immediately, you know? And then there's the great bit where like, it's it, like, basically the conversation fades down to nothing between them. And Gene Hackman just starts going, Ooh, and it suddenly just starts like, like to keep up the appearance outside that they're having a good time, mm. even though it's actually sort of like, there's a little weird sadness about how it hit where his life's gone and how weird this is. Yeah. And so like, uh, with the, like they're basically little kids. Estelle Parsons is a screaming child, right? The whole time, constantly, screaming. constantly screaming. And then you have, <laughs> Yeah, like as high pitched as like like the dog whistle like, sharp. Shut the fuck yeah. up. She Ooh, had the most like, to lose, though. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, of she course came she did. from uh, you know she didn't come from a broken family, right? Like she right now she was family. a precious daughter, right? And then and then and then you have Bonnie, and Bonnie is she like a uh, uh, with Dunaway? Dunaway is the only one who is motivating the the thing the whole time emotionally. Right. Right. And it's only when she finally gets distanced enough, like she's like, I just need to see my mom. Like, and it's this, it's really heartbreaking and sudden when that happens, like they're in so deep by that point and they're all basically committing crimes together now. And then suddenly she just disappears. She just disappears. And they're like, where's, where's Bonnie? And Bonnie's like, I just need to see my mom. And then when she goes, right. that, and then when they finally go, okay, well, we'll go, we'll find a way to do that. It cuts to the scene of seeing the mom and the whole filmic style of the movie changes to this soft, uh, gauzy lensed. It looks like they're at the beach and like, it's this total, like everyone's a family and they're hugging and 
There's yeah. kids and all that this was stuff. filmed through a through a dirty window. Did you know that? Oh, it's great. That's brilliant. That's which they part? basically took a dirty window and they filmed it through there. So it, it feels nostalgic, like ultra nostalgic, yeah. right? The yeah. whole sequence and like uh, like what's sorry is like I remember it. I was thinking, oh, this that's when they go to the beach. They're not at a beach. They're in a sand. They're in a gravel pit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it slowly reveals that they're just in a fucking sand pit someplace. And it's not like none of this stuff is as romantic as it seems. McGregor and, says like, turn left Clyde. Oh wait, wrong movie. And it's not Clyde. It's Hyde in that turn, movie. I believe you're talking about Clyde. raising Arizona, but, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> check that one. But yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, McGregor. Good okay. to see you. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I just want to, I, I just want to get, the, the mother, the mother-in-law scene or the, yeah, the mother scene is very, very sad. And we'll get to that because I have to sort of establish where that came from. But, yeah. but basically um, they rob a couple of more banks. I'm trying to get through this. Sorry. Rob a couple more banks as a group now. So now they're the gang. They're the Burroughs gang. Right. And they do their whole thing. Uh, Blanche is a fucking nightmare. She's always the one that mm. get them in trouble as she screams and does whatever else is going on. Right. Yeah. I just have to correct. Yes, McGregor, that is from Every Which Wave at Lusa, right? Am I right? <laughs> okay. Just I thought say. it was turn left. <laughs> turn left, hide. No, wait, 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 wait. No, I thought no. that was from Raising Arizona when they're re- robbing the bank in Raising Arizona. And it's like, okay, turn I'm, left, I'm, hide. I'm you remember? Am I right? McGregor, Lee, let us know which movie you're actually referring to on that one. I'm almost positive that he's talking about Raising Arizona. Turn left, hide. Okay. Okay. First of all, you're both wrong. It's right turn, Clyde. And that is from Every Which Way But Loose. <laughs> I think we're on the same page now. Okay, everything's good. Everything's oh, corrected. Right. Right turn, Clyde. Clyde is the orangutan. There you go. <laughs> it all makes sense now. now. Isn't that funny, though? Because there's that. Remember the scene where he steals yeah, no, the well, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, in exactly. Raising Arizona? Exactly. So you it seems get the hand, on point. Uh, like the exactly. huggies? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the best. <laughs> the, the hug, okay, we can say that the huggy scene is one of the greatest sequences in all of film, correct? Like, that's like since the 30s, the trying to get the oh, huggies that, that back. There's something about that entire movie. I mean, we've done a couple of, you know, we, we obviously did a couple of the, the, their films, but like, we haven't really covered Raising Arizona as like That's, one of the classic it's an comedies masterpiece. of all time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, not to go off on too much of a tangent. Yes, we are all on the same page. We should cover both Raising Arizona and Every Which Way But Loose. That's that's really. Oh, yeah, and that's it a comes good down movie. to those two lines getting confused. I think that's. I that, think that's we should the, dedicate an entire episode for that. I think that makes sense now. Okay. That is the. That's okay. going to be the McGregor twenty three episode. <laughs> okay. The McGregor 23 episode. <laughs> you are dedicated, my friend. This is it. We're gonna do okay. It. All right. So, uh, so at which point they go on quote unquote vacation to some other town. They rent a house. They get some groceries or whatever they're doing, and they're staying in this house. It's like they went to an Airbnb. I love this thing. Yes. Right? Yeah. This right. Part. Right. And because they go to Airbnb, and uh, they discuss. Uh, Somehow the cops get some wind of them. How did the cops get some wind that they're at this? Because house? they were was in the grocery store. Grocery store on the gun. Yep. No, they, no, that was from a different scene. That was. A oh no, no, scene. no! It's because the uh, grocery store delivery boy comes yeah, to knocks the door, on the door. Saw right? he was working he's, with the cops. Right. He's or like he told this, them or something. Yeah, he yeah. told he tells the cops because he's like, "There's someone looking at me through the window. They won't let me inside. There are a whole shitload of groceries." Like. Yeah, you know, a hundred bucks right. in groceries. Like he he tells the cops in the next scene that happens. 
Six dollars and twenty three cents. Sorry, that yeah. was a lot of money back then. That's a hundred bucks. But yeah. So uh, so the cops show up in mass to their house, at which point they have to do a getaway. Which this type of getaway was probably also something that was not done to this level. Oh, it's insane! Like, this is the scene I was talking this, about before that Michael Mann definitely has is in love with. I love this that is the, car because the, 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 they've got several. They've got several getaway scenes. This is not the most shocking one. The most shocking one was the one at the motel. To me, honestly, that was is the it maybe one I, okay. Am I think I may be That's mixing the same. Up. Go scene. ahead. No, it's not two different scenes. This is at the the I'm calling it the Airbnb that they were staying up way up north. Mm-hmm. And this is the after the grocery store. And this is when they escape and they ram into the cop car to get away. That's yeah. the first one that they mm-hmm. have. The right. other one is where it turns way more violent and someone gets one of them. Gets, one of the characters uh, gets, gets shot. shot. Yeah, right. But, right. Shot. but I'm talking about the one where they got away the first time. Right. But they kill a lot of cops to get out. <laughs> yep. Like straight up just murder. This is what just like murder like, cops. Like, but this is what ties Buck into it. Like he can't, they can't get out of it now because Buck shoots a cop with a shotgun point blank. Right. In order to get something to get away. Right. Yeah. Now, I don't remember if it happened. Be- there's a very important scene that happens. I don't remember if it was before that or after that, but it's around this time where there's some guy who finds them as they're pulled over near a, a river yeah, or near a pond or whatever. And he you is see. a Texas Ranger that is way out of his jurisdiction. Yes. Right. Ironically, his hunt. name was Walker. Oh, look, it was. Walker, I'm, Walker, kidding. Texas, I'm kidding. Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> he high kicks him. It, it, I, I think it is actually, but I, hold on a second. Because <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the dude that basically follows them through the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. What's his name? What's his he name? actually looks like my old roommate from high school's is... father. No, Frank Hammer. <laughs> Frank yeah. Hammer is his yeah, name. Yeah, that's right. No joke. Hamer. Hamer. He corrects Hamer. Him. It says Hamer. That's right. Hamer. Hamer. Frank Hammer. So they. He tries to catch him, but they catch him anyway. They they pin him, they steal his gun, they handcuff him, and then they take a bunch of they don't know what to do with him. It's like, let's kill him, let's do this, like that. And then Bonnie's idea is like, no, let's humiliate him. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna take a photograph. We're gonna take photographs of him with us having him captured, me holding a gun, like literally like cover of a magazine scenario mm-hmm. and then I, i'll kiss him like just really humiliate him and he is enraged this guy yeah this like, is like it's, it's partially it's like emasculating him completely yes, yes and like i think it's like they hint they basically say like it's because the scene happens to that guy that he decides to go after them as hardcore as he does yeah and that's his that's his only motivation yes in yeah. life Right. Right. And so, you know, he, like, they do all kinds of, and they, they, they just really humiliate him and then basically abandon him in a rowboat and fall. That's very dangerously, by the way. Oh, yeah. What? God, it's crazy. Crazy. Dangerously. I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah. That's another wonderful scene because, like, it's so. Uh, you could flip over and die. Yeah, exactly. And, like, he's tied up. Right. And so, like, the, like, that scene starts out so sort of funny and jaunty. Right. And then uh, when he spits in Bonnie's face, Clyde loses his shit, beats the shit out of the dude and dumps him in a rowboat and pushes him out onto the lake. And it's like, it's really jarring. You know, even like uh, Gene Hackman's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what is happening here? And uh, it's uh, like, it's one of these bit like you can see that 
finds is sort of like in control as he wants to pretend that he is, has almost no control at all. And it's uh, like no. his, well, I his, think it's interesting because there's something interesting about Clyde because he is so unbelievably defensive and aggressive towards uh, Bonnie if right. anything happens to her. Yeah, and I think that's part he he almost overreacts on everything, and I think that's part of him compensating for his uh uh uh, uh impotence absolutely right? like yeah like i can't i can't have sex with her but i can defend a shit out of her yeah like exactly. i can totally be the man except for the sex part <laughs> except for yes yes exactly yeah it's it's such a uh like it's it's one of these great revealing scenes and i look because i'm a huge fan when you have like and this this movie has like seven of them like when you set up the tone to be one thing and then you smack the audience into a different tone is fantastic. Right. And this movie is terrific at doing it. It's one of the all timers. Right. All right. And there's, there, I should note that there's been, there's been at least one more scene in the thing where, uh, up to this point where he attempts to have sex with her and fails again. Like, it's yes. like they, they just can't make it happen. Yeah. And she still loves him. Right. That's the thing. It's like, she's like, very frustrated obviously because she obviously wants it but it's just not gonna happen not gonna happen very, right yeah um ain't gonna happen girl ain't gonna happen right so uh so anyway so where are we um uh at this point okay so they escape uh they've got uh uh they've murdered a couple cops at this point she tries to see her mother i think we've established that scene they, which is a very weird sort of family setting. They all mm -hmm. know who they are. They all know that they're they're murderers, quite famous. Yeah, they're quite mm -hmm. famous at this point. Yeah, but they're still treating it well. The mom is a little bit spacey. Yeah, right? she's a little adult, Not, right? Yeah, yeah. and they're like she's like going. But I love that. This, first of all, the scene is shot through the dirty window, like you pointed out, which is fantastic. Yeah, so it feels very otherworldly. Like yep. it's very windy and dubbed and strange, right? So it, it feels very, it, like it feels like a strange flashback almost, right? And then yep. the mom herself is like, "I'm just a confused old lady, and I don't know what's happening to me." And you're like, "This, like, it's like she could be her grandmother, but not mom, right? Like it feels right. everything is like because she's young. <laughs> yeah, it's really wonky. It's very like off-putting uh, setup." But then it at one point, kind of Bonnie says, it's like, difference. we'll, we'll, and Bon, uh, like, what's his name? Uh, uh, Clyde says, uh, we'll just move, you know, three miles from your house. I was like, if you move three miles from my house, you'll be dead before you know it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, here's the thing. I also, it's like, wait, yeah. I feel like that Bonnie was actually older than she was. And you get that from the Gene Wilder. Where Gene Wilder character, his, yes. His, his, his oh, we're going to get into Gene Wilder character. But she about says, him. I'm yeah. 33, and he's 33. shocked. So everyone's yeah. kind of lying in a way. Right. So I was, I, I come in this round, I was like, I wonder if she really was older, but she didn't want to tell him. Right. Which makes it a, her a totally different person, really. Or she may, she may, she may be like the very, very, she might be the baby of a huge family. That kind of stuff. So right. it's really distant from a, it's like the mom is just like a, from a totally different era in that scene. Like it's really, right. it's really weird. I mean, I, I think it's on purpose weird, uh, but, but it makes the whole thing very strange. And the scene is basically saying like, you're never going to see her again. This is it. Like, don't, yep. like you're, you're, you're headed towards death and she's, you know, she's out of the picture. That's it. I know. That was nice. Thanks for the last visit. 
Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about the Gene Wilder scene because that was a crazy scene and it was like out of nowhere and it was totally comedy. But I have some specific things to talk about it in a sense, uh, either now or later. But basically, they need a new car and they decide to start stealing a new car in front of this house. And in front of the house is a, uh, a, a man and a woman that are making out on the front porch. Right. And as of they're a nice doing home. that, of a nice, in a nice home, neighborhood. Right? Yeah. In a nice neighborhood. Right. Exactly. And uh, the one is like, isn't that your car? And he goes, and then you realize it's Gene Wilder, which to me is like, oh my God, a fucking is Gene Wilder. It doesn't, it, it's out of place suddenly in this movie, but it is Gene Wilder acting completely like Gene Wilder. Yeah, but that right. was before Gene Wilder was Gene Wilder. And he's hysterical. He be, he's really funny. He is absolutely That's hysterical. He's pre-producers. Right. right. Yeah. And he's like, what's the wife's he name? He says all like, the noises, the Gene Wilder noises. Like, <laughs> and, and the thing is, like, Wilder is, like, another emasculated character. Like, the oh, whole, totally. <laughs> like he's, he's, he's macking on her like, she, like he's the big man. But the moment, like, anything serious goes down, He's like, like she's driving and he's like, oh, I'm so mad. And, but he's, but she's the one who's fucking chasing him down. And by then, the way, right. you notice like he's clearly the wealthiest you can tell. Yeah. And what right. does he do for a living? An undertaker. He's an undertaker. <laughs> and that's the punchline right. of the whole scene. Like, right. All right. Goofy, but goofy, let's get, goofy. So, so yeah. what basically happens is they steal the car, they get into her car to chase down to chase them down with their car at which point they're like get him get him get him and then they decide oh they're chasing us and then they decide let's get and it's like maybe we shouldn't get him maybe we should just get the cops they turn around to get the cops at which point it's like they're turning around at which point they say let's go and get them yeah seriously right? yeah it's totally like fargo or yeah uh, or, or basically the ending of Easy Rider. But anyway, uh, they chase them down, and they stop them, grab them, and put them in the car with them. So now all of them are in the car, right? All the whole group, like the the both couples, CW all three couples at CW Moss. That's seven uh, people in this tiny car. Yeah, exactly. It's seven same. people yeah. in this car. Yeah. Right. And they're like confused about it, and they're like, "We're Bonnie Clyde. You know who we're us?" And they're both like, "Yeah." And then they're like. Basically, like we're good people, just like you. You know, trying to convince them, yeah, about what they do, right? And trying to convince and, themselves that, like, yo, yo, we're fine. We're just, everything we're doing is just all in good fun, <laughs> all in good fun. And this is the thing that this is the thing that gets to me. And this is I'm gonna. This comes up as a as an issue for me, both in this film and in Easy Rider, is that Gene Wilder makes a point of saying. I'm from up north, mm -hmm. right? And he speaks differently and more intellectually than they do. Right. And this was a common thing back then, which I think is a very problematic, is that the South is portrayed as dumb and stupid and uneducated. Yeah. And they, the people, the, the way that even Warren Beatty talks and Gene Hackman talks and everyone talks is even though they may be saying things that in a sense actually are quite revealing, they are portrayed as uneducated mm -hmm. and the South has been portrayed by Hollywood as uneducated for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. It's very, very much true in easy rider 
Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's it, right. It, Verges on uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre territory. Yeah, well, well, Verges on. I can understand why some people in the you know yeah. Southern white people feel like right. they're the ones that are being oppressed. Right. Like and, I, I, um, I don't. I'm not sure. I think that Bonnie and Clyde is not particularly. They're all like they all like it's all across the mass. It's like the Southern Midwest. I, I mean, at one point they're like in Iowa and stuff like this. So it's like. You know, I understand, they, but yeah. they're basically all talking about Southern or like Hicks. Yeah, right? like that. Well, like I think it's much more like. I mean, obviously, Pollard is a complete Hick in this movie. Um, right. Uh, but like Bonnie is very smart. But so is Clyde. So and, is Clyde. And Bonnie like, is smart, but Bonnie is smart, but she un, talks like a Southerner yeah. in slow voices, right? Yeah. Specifically, Gene Hackman is the only person that speaks intelligently, even though he's not necessarily the smartest person in the room. Gene Wilder, right? Rather. Gene Wilder. Yeah. So it, he is like, he specifically they, calls himself out as saying, I'm from the North. Right. And so like, I would say that it actually makes more fun of Gene Wilder than it does, uh, of, and his, and his northernliness because he is an emasculated coward. Uh, right. like he's, he's obviously, high, like, I'm very, very educated. I make a lot of money and I, he's a fool because he didn't fool. realize she was 33. Yeah. Like he's, he's a, he's a fool. Like his situation is not what it seems. He is a coward. He is, uh, and he is, um, and like in comparison to the people that he's with, like he's no competition at all. He's like, you know, he's, he's a wet noodle compared to the, the, the rest of the crew. And so like, I think the, the, the film's attitude toward that, that's the only Northerner. It's not a great vision of the North. <laughs> like this dude. No, like, but I think that there's, I, anyway, I'll get to. I get what my, you said. My, yeah. My, 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 I'm getting to my Southern stuff later because yeah. I think it's something important mm -hmm. to deal with in general. But anyway, that I think was an important scene, obviously, through that thing. Uh, they are all having hamburgers uh, in the back of the car well, and they're enjoying it. And apparently, uh, 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 C the guy who plays CWS, uh, Pollard, whatever his name is, uh, didn't realize that you're not actually supposed to eat the food because you have multiple takes, but he actually ate those hamburgers and they had oh, like man. 12 or 15 takes. That's and apparently he was completely like he ate so many hamburgers while trying to film that scene <laughs> that he got oh really God. sick. That's hysterical. That's really funny. <laughs> Guess that's how movies are made, man. <laughs> Just keep eating hamburgers. Keep eating hamburgers. How come you guys ain't fat? Got What's it. happening? Yeah. No man. Yeah. It's funny. Nope. Nope. And you do a you do the same take twelve times. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a that was a little fun piece of trivia that I found out. Uh, okay. So then uh, again, I like the way you defend Bonnie too. You're like so Bonnie really is. You're talking like you're your parent. I'm so yeah. Proud yeah of no. No. Like Bonnie she's doesn't so have my school. Yeah. She's very very smart. She's very interested in in in, in reading about biology. <laughs> yeah, she's so good. She's she, she's good. She's taking AP French next year. It's nice. I mean, it's really things are really picking up for her. <laughs> things are really great for her. Really, really great. But basically, the punchline that, that is you're right. You're But they basically ask him what he does, and he goes, "I'm an undertaker." And Bonnie says, "Fuck you. This is over." Get out. And them out. <laughs> like they were all getting along great as right. friends, which is weird, right? Mm. And then like this is over. Done. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. she can sense death on the horizon. She writes later writes a poem about this. Like right. she's but she's she, more sensitive to like there. There's no future. way out. She of knows this, where yeah. she knows where this is going to lead to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so now at this point we've established that 
okay, so this leads us to the next shootout scene, which is basically they're in a motel, and they get tipped off as being in this motel by the fact that they're getting groceries at the at some store. Also, we also established that uh, C.W. Moss uh, has a big tattoo on his chest. Right. Uh, that that Bonnie convinced him to get, and this is uh, will be relevant in a second. But anyway, they all go to the Bonnie and CW go to no Blanche and CW go to the grocery store to get some uh, to, to go to a store to get some chicken sandwiches and ice cream or something like that. And uh, they they pay in cash. But at one point when they pay in cash, uh, he reaches for his money to get cash. He has a gun on the side. Some guy sees the gun, recognizes them, tips off the cops, follows them. They and this is leads leads to their next ambush. So the ambush now, is great, right? A m- massive ambush at this ho- at this motel. Another takes the last shootout that happened at the I call it the Airbnb. <laughs> Happens at the Airbnb is escalated to the extreme. Yeah, that's on bananas. this one. Yes, I love that. This shows his car. I'm going to look it up right now. It's that tank car. Yes, it was basically yeah. like uh, like a. What's the, I'm gonna the, look the it tank up. car at Die Hard that shows up? Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> bring in the bring in the car. Bring in it's the 1930s car. 1930s streamline. Oh, let me look it up. Hold on. Yeah, that uh, that looks like some World War One equipment they were bringing in right there. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, so basically like an armored car that they had brought in, but they they actually they have grenades for some reason and they throw yeah. up grenades. To, to yeah, and I love car. that they don't lead up to any of that stuff at all. Like it's just out of the blue. You're like, oh we shit, got a grenade. Going, yeah, like things are way more serious than I uh, than I realized. And they got a whole bunch of Tommy guns. They got a lot of guns. Yeah, man. like you're having so much fun hanging out with them that you don't realize that like in between time, like they are. They have an arsenal. Like it's really serious. And the yeah. cops are like, we gotta show up en masse with the heavy shit in order to take these people down. And so but put yeah, it in the, the chat. The, oh, thank you. Yeah, like the like that's the like when they show up with the cops show up with the tank car, you're like, I didn't realize how serious this had gotten, but here we are. Like, oh, that's, that's not how, it. That's it, not it. It's a, but it's a, it I maybe maybe this, but a very armored one. It's like yeah. basically all plate on. steel all around, yeah. That's not it. That's pretty damn close. Yeah, that's no, in nineteen thirty-nine, right? I think it might be that car, but they've but they added further armor plating to it. But it's it's such a weird feeling when you see that you're like, I didn't realize like how famous they must be that the cops are like basically roaring in with the well, like World War One material in order to beat them. Yeah, but yeah, like that that sequence is is. Extreme really it's very violent and really hectic uh and uh and and beautifully shot too like it's like it's like all by headlights the whole time and it it looks like they're on stage with a spotlight pinned on it's fantastic here it is i am putting it into uh our twitch chat chat now hold on a second i found it oh we put the same link in there it is. That's the one. <laughs> All right, cool. Anyway, so uh, so anyway, so uh, during this shootout, things get way more serious. Now, C.W. Moss actually takes on uh, some pretty uh, um, uh, uh, is actually the, one of the bravest one of all of them. Honestly, like I was looking at that stuff that was going mm-hmm. on, but then Buck and Blanche 
try to hide behind a mattress as they try to get out of their their spot. But Buck gets shot in the head. Yeah. Right? Like right on the side of the head. Right it's, on the side. Like, it's it, pretty it honestly, bad. It's like yeah. it's pretty much fatal, right? Yeah. It's not uh, it's not an immediate like get killed bit, but it's like me maybe have a day. It's not gonna be much time. It rang your bell, your brain's gonna swell and that's pretty And he bad. starts talking it, about like who left the, the shoes or something? Yeah, the, He's screaming out. Yep, yep. Yeah, it has a little bit of Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. I was going to say, that's a Thunderbolt and Lightfoot moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. when, when when you have, like, brain swelling, that's, it's not going to work. That's not going to work yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's not in good shape. And then Blanche gets shot also and has blinded. Uh, she doesn't get shot. She gets fragment of glass. Yeah, in her eye. Fragment of glass in her, in her eyes. So she's kind of blinded. Um, and then the basically, uh, um, strangely, she's not Bonnie too Clyde and there. Bonnie and Clyde and, and mm-hmm. CW Moss escape. Right. Right. And CW is the only one that's somewhat unscathed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Bo- like Bonnie and by the end of the run, like Bonnie and Clyde are pretty fucked up. Like she's shot pretty fucked up. They're pretty yeah. shut up. Yeah. And like, the thing that's interesting is the entire time. They've identified everyone except for C.W. Moss. He's been identified as an un- unidentified individual, mm-hmm. right? right? And which is good for him because that leaves it that no one can find him. Um, but he basically drives and tries to figure out what the hell, like they, they're literally just not, he just has to, he has to take control. He's the only one that can drive or do anything. Right. And they're pretty much unconscious in the back of the car. Right. At which point oh, so he drives to another Grapes of Wrath scene. <laughs> this this is a terrific scene. This is a terrific scene. I was like, where, where it's my this? favorite scene of the movie. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's right. like having that little. Uh, it's almost like a little. Almost it's a it's a family, but it's like basically a little town of. It's an extreme, encampment. It's, it's a, an encampment yeah. of four people who are all disenfranchised. They have nowhere to go. Very ho- homeless people, essentially. And they help them out with water uh, and crowd around the right. car where, well, uh, CW gives them water and, uh, uh, and cleans them up a little bit. And it's such a weird, it's like, it's again, it's the same thing where you, it's like the level to which things have gotten bad is only revealed in these little weird bursts. Right. And so like you see this homeless encampment, you're like, like clearly ever live. Yeah. Like, this is how bad it is. Like, like the, like the, the depression wasn't just like, Oh, those are hard times. Everyone lost a lot of money. It's like you had like entire towns worth of homeless people. Have you uh, been driving through Los Angeles? Yeah, exactly. It's it's just pretty much as bad as that right now. Yeah. Is it, is it gotten worse since I left? Oh, it's, It's, yeah, it's it's really, really sad. It's really sad. It's really, really sad. Yeah. It's insane. Every, if there's a freeway underpass, it is filled with tents. Yep. yep. Every freeway underpass is filled with tents. Yeah. Well, last I was down in uh, West Hollywood and like there's, you know, like, uh, it's, 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 it, it look, West Hollywood is starting to look like what downtown used to look like and downtown. Looks, what's Skid West Road? Hollywood? Used to look like. Yeah. What's Skid? Yeah. Yeah. What's Skid Road? West Hollywood? Like. Yeah. 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 And yeah. uh, a, Very a lot of the the boardwalk in Venice is just filled with tents as well now. Yeah, which is really just crazy. Yeah, and it's just uh, bananas. But yeah, like the, but this scene is is it this incredibly like it's it really has this it has a feeling of, of a 
I don't know, like a hopper painting or like something. It's like it really is a very strange elevated moment for the movie where like you Mm -hmm. get such a weird perspective on everything that is happening in the film, like the scale of what is happening, how bad things are for them personally, how bad things are for the country, you know, the suffering that's going on everywhere and the incredible like sort of like kindness that's in that scene even though it's very brief, is very, very touching. And so it's a very, it is a Grapes of Wrath scene. It's like the, my favorite scene in Grapes of Wrath is when the, uh, when the store, uh, the candy store guy gives the candy to the kids or buys the, oh, they, they buy the candy for the kids. Like, that is, like, it's such, like, people being kind uh, is so rare to see in movies that it's really breathtaking. And that's, that's what I love. I love the sequence. It's really something. Grapes of Wrath. Starring Henry Fonda, father mm-hmm. of Peter Fonda, father of Peter Fonda. Next movie, okay. So, uh, but I do also want to say there's a there's a scene that was pointed out in the trivia portion. One of their bank robbers that they do is they were sitting in there, and uh, wo- they were robbing the bank, and there was some money on the counter and a farmer that was next to it, and they're all holding their hands up. And I think it was Clyde who says, "Is that your money or the bank's money?" And he goes, "It's my money." And he goes, "Then take it." Then take right. It. Yep. And that was the thing. It was like, I'm here for the bank, not for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminded me also, by the way, of our scene from uh, uh, Vera RL, which is also a ripoff of Heat. Is like, we're here for the bank's money only. Yep. That is kind of That's the stolen through. We stole it directly from Heat. Yes. <laughs> yes, we did steal it directly <laughs> yes. from Heat. But it was one of the things. It's like, so apparently that was a line because apparently when they, there's a bunch of bank robbery lines or actions that happened that are in Bonnie and Clyde that are from other bank robbers. And I believe that one is like Dillinger or something like that. So it's not actually a, but it is a, like something that happened in a, by a real famous bank robber, but it just wasn't Bonnie and Clyde. Yep. Well, Dillinger had a real, uh, a real public following. Yeah. Like people were like, a little well. Robin Hood. He is too, a hero. Right? Yeah. 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 That guy's a hero. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, uh, okay. So at this point they are, uh, you know, they go through this town. They're revered as these messiahs. Right. In a lot of ways, as he's saving them with the water uh, and they're like, oh, my God, it's them. It's Bonnie and Clyde. You know, right. like they try to it. touch his hand like he's Christ. Yeah. yeah. Is that right. really Bonnie and Clyde? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so uh, they look at that situation as the saviors, which I thought was an interesting thing to do. Right. And which point then CW takes him to his dad's house, which is a farm somewhere in Texas somewhere. Right. Um, and his dad is kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys can stay here, fix you up, et cetera, et cetera. But then his dad gets really pissed off about his tattoo and realizes mm-hmm. you're in the wrong crowd. Mainly the tattoo is the thing that bothers him the most, which I think was. Oh, yeah. I think that he is. I think he's actually quite he's disgusted way. anyway, but he's putting on a fake shtick. Putting on a fake. And you could tell because when he gets yeah. into the kitchen, he throws stuff at him. He's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're welcome. welcome. You're absolutely welcome. Yeah. Just like. And lays into the kid immediately. Yeah. So I right. think he, like he's, he's focused on the tattoo. Like, look at what these scumbags have done to you. But like, he is talking on both sides out of his, of his mouth because he's like moments before he's like incredibly nice to Bonnie and Clyde. And the moment he's inside, right. he's like those fucking scumbags have got to go. <laughs> You're like, whoa, right. shit. <laughs> yeah. Right. So at this point, uh, what's uh, interesting uh, is, true. Uh, but they, this uh, was by the way, the casting was incredible because he kind of does look like, CW's father. Oh yeah, and I've he seen does. this actor. He's like one of the great character actors. I can't remember who that guy is, but yeah, the moment you see him, you're like, oh yeah, that did. Yeah, 
And then the next thing that happens is that um, uh, the they have already ca- they've captured Blanche at this point, right? So Buck has died. Crazy. Blanche is in the hospital yep. with her eyes. You know, she's got a big band around her eyes because she's blinded, right? And she's but she's you know obviously uh, a caught, right? And um, the uh, 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 and she's the, the way the ranger. She's- the way that she's bandaged up is so strange, but perfect for the yeah. scene. Oh, it's incredible! It, look, it's it looks so like uh, what's the the, the Magritte painting of the uh, of the couple kissing, but they're both wrapped in sheets. Their faces are wrapped in sheets. Like it's it's such like, such a strange image. Like, and the cop comes in. Strange. It, it looks it looks uh, a Twilight Zone. It looks Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so but the thing is, it also has this religious connotation where you put his hand on his oh, shoulder. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because her yeah. father. So it's almost like, you know, he's blinded and Christ comes in and guides. Oh, yeah. And he and he knows it, too. So he puts his uh, hand on her shoulder and immediately it's just and like. he closes because, the door. So yeah. And he, and he says that with the line when he puts is his hand on the shoulder. This is the Texas Ranger who goes in. The guy, the guy right. who they humiliated. We should just right. put that in. And he's like, yeah. now you, you would understand because your father was a church man, you know, whatever. And he puts his hand on her shoulder and, and then she immediately takes his hand, you know, and starts crying, like holding and like he's playing her the whole time. Like he's just right. like I'm he just going to say the right things, yeah. All those horrible things that that crowd you're with, that guy, that guy, and she basically guides her in a very cool, like a very smart way, guides her to basically saying the name of all the people, yeah, specifically like, C.W. including yeah. the one that's the missing identity that he's right. trying to find, right? C.W. Moss. C.W. Tell C. me his C. name. Yeah, and right. uh, and so like that's the moment when he. Like after that, there's, there's, they're dead. <laughs> like, that's they're dead, it. right? And so what happens at this point? See, the the ranger finds the dad uh, of C W Moss, makes a deal thanks. with him. They go, and C W says, "You made it. He made a deal with the bad guy. Don't get in the car." They get in the car and they escape. And it's like, ah, we got away. And at which point they get stopped by C W's dad. He's in the car. Like oh I got a. By the way, did you notice? Pardon me. Notice something about that scene, that when they meet and he brings take home back for that period, I'm sure it's authentic. It was a Chinese takeout box. Yeah, ice cream. Yeah, it's it's weird. That's super weird. Yeah, that's how they brought ice cream back in the day. Yeah, they didn't have. That's super wild. Yeah, but I was also going to throw in. I love the ending of the the bandage scene with Blanche because the cop just walks out. In the door, yeah. and like she keeps yep. on like she thinks he's still there, and he gently walks out. What she's like having like she's like I don't know, nobody understands, and he's like yeah, thanks a lot. Click. <laughs> Let's yeah, talk to yourself. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yep. So fantastic. Yeah, but basically, what happens is that they they're trapped, and then uh, they're trying to help CW's dad with a flat tire, but they realize they're trapped. Now, what's interesting about it? This is the the famous scene is. They look at each other, realize they're trapped. They're about to get in push. They try to embrace each other, mm-hmm. but they get shot to hell. It's an extraordinarily violent scene. Yeah, it's, they're just it's crazy. riddled with bullets, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yep. Now, total apparently, setup, and they and they get shredded. Total setup. Yep. Now, apparently, that wasn't exactly what happened because they didn't feel that, and then she was actually eating a sandwich when they got shot in reality. But, <laughs> um, and she was quite invalid. Uh, she was uh, from the previous sh- uh, in in reality. Apparently, she was quite burnt and couldn't walk, and uh, right. it was uh, not a good scene. But 
here's the thing i have a question like was that what you did you didn't try to arrest people and bring them to justice you just shot them in a car no, like, is that how the law worked well yeah it's not how the law should work but i i would say that like these these folks uh like were like i think that there's the thing that they don't really include in the movie is that Bonnie and Clyde were really gratuitous murderers. Like they're really, I really understand. They just wanted so, no like, matter, over. No matter yeah. what, you bring them to justice. You don't yeah. just shoot that's, them well, down. That's, that's what know. they should do. But like that, like the motivation behind the cops is like, we're not here to like take them in. We're here to take them out. Like that, that is definitely there. That was definitely I the understand. real life attitude. I'm not, I'm not arguing reality. for it. Aren't you supposed to, Bring them in, of course. But I'm just saying, present like, evidence it, of their <laughs> things to the court of law, and then absolutely court, true. Said, absolutely whatever. True, yes. Like I was like, dude, huh. that yeah. doesn't make any sense. I had no problem with them getting gunned down like that, though. Oh, they, 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 they are like they, the cops. The cops in that, in that's, I, I like, I don't endorse it whatsoever. However, I I'm think not saying that they're not guilty. I'm just saying yeah, that that's not how the law like, works. That's not how the law works. But it is how. Right? Things work in, say, Texas when you're trying no, to stop but serial listen, murders. We are, we are, we are with common law country. We are innocent Absolutely until proven true. guilty. Absolutely true. Absolutely. This true. is not Napoleonic I, law. I, I do just not. Say, I, I do not say. endorse the uh, the wholesale uh, riddling with bullets of uh, career sociopathic murderers. Even though they are career sociopathic murderers, they should be brought in. Everyone. Has but the right, no matter it is, what, be brought to a court of law. Completely agreed. Completely agreed. There's no I, court in this one. No, they they simply mow them down, and uh, and that's what and happened this happened too. in reality. Yes, this <laughs> going oh, yeah. and this and the thing is, like, this is what happens. You uh, you actually see a lot of it if you see uh, De- uh, Michael Mann's uh, Public Enemies. You see people like Babyface, Babyface Nelson, and all these guys. Like the cops, the G Men were not there to fucking serve papers. They were there to shoot them dead on the spot. Like that's what they went out to do. Like they weren't fucking around. And that also happened, obviously. In uh, we brought it up in um, what's that movie? Uh, um, uh, uh, Sugarland Express. Yep. Just like this is gonna stop the. Oh, we'll, we'll deal with the consequences later. It's time to just fucking gun these people down. Like yeah. on the off chance that they will get escape justice, we we can take care of that with a shotgun blast right this second. That is the mindset, right? Yeah. No, I okay. I, I'm as, as I am. I like. I am anti-death penalty, so I definitely, definitely disagree with cold-blooded murder. <laughs> I think that is not the purpose. On all sides. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's generally a terrible idea. But uh, yeah. but that is how. Like this is that that is what they did, and that is definitely the mindset of uh, the the both the uh, the cops and the feds at this time at this period in history. Right. And arguably yeah. often. <laughs> and uh, I'm certainly not saying that they were not terrible people. I just yes. don't think that that's how justice should be served. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that did happen in both the movie and in reality. There's mm-hmm. slight differences. Apparently, Blanche was very upset because of the script because she was the real Blanche uh, was portrayed as an annoying character. <laughs> but apparently, like, it wasn't the same at all. And she was younger than Bonnie and arguably right. prettier. And like, there's that's all right. kinds of, problems. that's the important right. stuff. Not whether or not they were going cross country and killing people for money. Yeah. <laughs> like you what did happened? do that. Right, look that up. What happened to her? Was she thrown in jail? I thought she went to prison. I know right? What happened? Yeah. I thought she did. 
Uh, she she was she uh warren Beatty like uh like hung out with her oh that's wild was, like it's weird yeah super weird. anyway she and apparently she was really enamored by warren Beatty, as you can imagine how could you not be my god sure. that dude that if, I, if i saw if if i met that dude after after shampoo all bets are off my friend look at that hair it's insane all right Listen up, guys. We've been going for two hours, and I still need to get through Easy Rider. I have a feeling this is going to go slightly long. I already anticipated that before. That's all right. But Big Easy things. Rider, lots of things to say and probably a lot of stuff to talk about, both movies combined. But I think I need to take a two-minute break. Sounds good. To get through the uh, next, episode, uh, next episode. So we're going to take a two-minute ad break. Uh, if uh, I have to start, you guys want to chit-chat for two minutes, is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. All right. So two minute break coming up right now. Thank you so much for doing that. All right. Uh, for anyone who is staying with us. Uh, yes, Eric and I completely endorse the novel heat Two, Michael Mann and Meg Gardner, which is, uh, at least so far, one of the best crime novels I have read in many, many, many years. Like that is terrific. Great character stuff. Like it, Carries the tone from heat perfectly. Great structure. Awesome. Like, man, there's some fucking, there's some, I can't wait for this to get filmed because there, there's some cinematic sequences in that book, man. Absolutely insane. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great, great. Man. Like, I'm actually, like, I'm, I'm really thrilled with this, uh, this, uh, director's writing novels thing. I am too. It, it really, you said it earlier that it was his way just because he, couldn't get money for his films right right because i mean like he's uh yeah because he was he was kind of on the outs after a string of like uh what they i think are genius but uh, was considered misfires like uh, black hat which i love but did bomb uh and he got back on track financially with uh the success of hbo's tokyo vice Mm. Um, and uh that got him greenlit on ferrari and uh, then I believe that Heat 2 as a film is being greenlit off of the number one bestseller status of the novel. So he has uh, played this quite correctly. But uh, you can see uh, for anyone on the way, I also am reading uh, The Twilight World by Werner Herzog, which is terrific. What is that? Uh, it's a short novel about um, the, uh, the, a man who, uh, uh, Japanese man who believes that World War II was still going on. Oh and, yes, man! It's really, it's really lovely, beautifully. It's uh it's very brief, uh, but really great. The audiobook also Herzog narrates, so I recommend that as well. Uh and uh, for anybody who uh, loves the movie as much as I do, here we go. I have a copy. Shoot, it's gone. Anyway, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the novel is. Terrific. I read that. Yeah. Oh, you you read those things? Fantastic. Like, like, man, that's a it's a wholly different story. It's like it's like seventy percent not the movie. Like uh, all the like it like the 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 entire ending of the movie uh, is thrown away as a three sentence description early in the book. Yeah. No, I got that like a year ago. Did you get that a year ago? Uh, I did, yeah, but I read it. Uh, I read it when I got the paperback, and I read it when I got the hardcover. That's a that's a great, great little bit of work with lots of great Hollywood backstory, and uh, it changes how you view the film. So, 
And uh, with, with Heat 2, I feel the same. Like, that is a deepening and sort of altering experience for watching Heat. It's really, really nice. Incredible. And we're back. Yeah, we've been back. We've been there back. we go. Nice. Okay. All right. Uh, great. Okay, so now. We talked about the spark, and now let's talk about the explosion. <laughs> the explosion, that's right. Right. Now, what's interesting about Easy Rider is that this is, I think Eric has sort of alluded to this, like, the, like Bonnie and Clyde was more of a Hollywood film, and then Easy Rider was like, let's just fucking do it ourselves. Yep. Kind 100%. Of movie. Yep. Right? Yeah. Like, written by, you know, Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda, Produced by Peter Fonda, directed by Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper, like they just did it right. In a lot of ways, like I feel a little bit of kinship, although without necessarily the heavy drug use, between what Easy Rider did and what we're trying to do, Mm -hmm. like us as a group, (laughs) like the three of us. Mm -hmm. And there's something about it that was like just freaking shoot it doesn't matter oh yeah and it's right? impossible to under, understate the uh importance of this movie two movies like again it's so important yeah like this is this is a absolute pivotal moment in film uh for forever <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and if forever yeah. and at the same time that i think what's so important is the entire movie is an accident mm-hmm. like it wasn't planned at all it is a a train wreck that landed in a beautiful spot. Right. 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 Like most of the lines are improv. A lot of the scene was like, let's just shoot something. It doesn't matter. Just mm-hmm. do it kind of situation. Right. And, it, and they just did a lot of things, but they had a general idea and message and tone that they found and discovered that suddenly resonated with such importance yeah and uh, and i think if you i think the movie if it didn't the 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 anchor of this movie in a lot of ways is jack nicholson mm-hmm. and his character that sort of takes the looseness of the whole thing even when he's off screen and not in screen and sort of puts these points to them yeah. It grounds it into, hey, this is what we're actually talking about. Boom, and, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and he works for the ACLU. And he works for the ACLU, right? Yeah. And so it was very, very interesting that, like, he is, they're all fucking tripping, except for him. He's got his own issues. But right. he's the one who's like, boop, 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 boop. Right. Yeah, he's, this. And he's as close to the representing the audience as anything in this movie. You know, he's like yeah. he is a sort of a normalish person who you know has a little comes from like there's some sort of affluence that he's connected to, and yeah, and he's just sort of like what the what the fuck has happened? Like everything has just gone wrong, and uh, and I would say especially his final scene is oh my god is like I'm gonna get to that. Yeah, it's cla- it's, that's, it's the cl- that's the real classic moment of the movie for me. It's the most important scene, and it's even more important today when you put it in context because you realize, like, oh fuck, yeah, 
50 years later and we still haven't done still the same thing shit about it yeah still it's the same ridiculous thing. ridiculous anyway very simple movie in a lot of ways and the most uh uh even though it's you know the production of this film was we should get into that a little bit production of this film was fairly cheap I think the whole thing mm-hmm. was done for about 360, 400,000 total. Um, I heard that was the production cost, but they paid almost a million dollars in uh, music rights. Yeah, no, and it shows, yeah. man. Wow. There's some hits in this one, boy. There is some of the greatest songs of all of that era being played in this film. In the first two minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. And and it's basically this sets a tone to this movie that is so unbelievably important and so well done. Um, so this film is very era appropriate. I mean, this is the ultimate hippie experience, the ultimate like authentic hippie experience. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think uh, that the I think that what's really what I really because I'll um, I'll put it out there. I've never been a giant fan of this movie um, as as a movie experience. And, um, but I enjoyed it most this time and rang more true to me this time than ever before. And it's been years since I've seen it. And the thing that I liked the most about it was, um, I think it's like part, I think partly what I didn't like about it or didn't connect with it before is that so much of, for so long, uh, hippie culture was being sold as this sort of like, like, we really understand the earth positive vibes routine. They they did this through the eighties. Right. And uh, like, Oh, that's the generation that really understood, you know, this kind of stuff. And then they turned into the owners of whatever Apple <laughs> and stuff like this. Uh, and, uh, and so like, it always came across the hippie, the hippie ideal always came across to me, even though I agree politically with much of it. Uh, like the whole I, the the way it's represented in many movies is seems disingenuous to me like mm. it's like you don't really understand. understand man i'm above yeah. all that stuff right and when i'm watching it with a slightly more open frame of mind now like i'm watching it i'm like this is actually the real this is this is the real stuff where it is actually quite self-critical and like there's a lot of sort of like like these these characters are sort uh. of like like lost. Marini says we blew it, which is one of the last lines of the we movie. We blew it. And you're yeah, absolutely, exactly. It is. We blew absolutely it. correct, man. You got like, it. It's like, it, and it. I think it takes it to the, yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. But yeah, like, like that's the, yeah. Like Marini says, like, that's the thing that I really, that I find this movie finally kind of clicked with me in a meaningful way. This go around because of that. Cause I was like, yeah, this is something I completely understand now. Like not just about the hippie movement, but about, where we are culturally today and uh and when they get to we blew it like i'm like okay this movie's way more on point than i ever gave it, gave it credit for yeah so especially yeah because that's my journey what hopper was saying where <laughs> billy was saying is like that's it man we just retire in in florida right yeah and it's like no man, no man we blew it we blew it and it's unexplained yeah. Like unexplained. There's no yeah. detailing that. Thought. He doesn't have to tell you why he blew it. Yeah. You just understand it. it happened. That's that's right. a lot of those guys that. felt that way though. I know I read an article yeah. in the eighties with Pete Townsend and he said, yeah, yeah, we, we fucked it up. 
Well, this this is the yeah. this is the thing. It's like my my I I before I didn't watch this with like I I was looking at this with this sort of like I'm irritated with hippies viewpoint, you know, which is like like this basically my experience in like the rich hippies of Venice Beach that own all that fucking beachfront property are a lot uh-huh. of them are insufferable fucking jerks. And yes. and and they're super full of themselves. And did you ever like play? Did you ever play that that game of like homeless or millionaire? Yeah, Venice? exactly. Homeless or millionaire. <laughs> like these guys, I'm like just it's like fun. your like your whole baloney routine of being in touch with the earth and all your you know crystals and unicorn spiritualism. You're yeah. a bunch of corporate Sedona for fuck's sake. Yeah, like you're a bunch of corporate jerk offs, and that's based. And you're just selling this trust funds. This yeah, trust fund babies and all this stuff. And this is like this is just an image that you're trying to sell, and it annoyed me, and I uh, sort of lumped Easy Rider in with that unconsciously, and uh, but, and but only, but it is not that. And so, like uh, on this go around, I'm happy to have watched it again and seen like I do not, I do not feel that way about this movie. I think that this is they, a much more I, truthful. I, I, film. These are these are the these are the OG hippies, yeah. man. Right, and and G is also gangster because this is again these guys are gangsters, yeah, and that is right. an important part right. of the plot that you always have to remember because yeah. these guys are gangsters, right? Yeah, uh, they're literally drug dealers, uh, and 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 drug mules, right? Mm-hmm. That are they're dealing with with this stuff, and so the plot is quite simple, but it has these great moments through it through the journey. It is the best. It is the best example of a journey film to me. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, and I, I just, I just can't, and Marini, I'm going to get to the freedom, uh, uh, that's probably going to take like 40 minutes to get through the freedom, uh, conversation, but that's near the end of the movie and we'll <laughs> right. get to that part. Okay. So, uh, starts off with them in Mexico selling cocaine to, or like they, they buy cocaine. Yes. They buy cocaine in Mexico. Uh, uh, and they're riding these choppers. Very important. Just look it up. Just look up Easy Rider. Their outfits are iconic. Also, should note that Peter Fonda's um, motorcycle was a pretty extreme chopper with a really chopped down look to it, which was very hard to drive. But Peter I, had I, experience riding motorcycles. How do you, uh, with the long nose on that thing, I don't know how you don't fall over constantly. That's insane. Yeah, I think you really have to have experience. And the drug, the guy that bought the drugs was? Uh, yeah, uh, 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 Spectre. Bill Phil Spectre. Spectre. <laughs> nice. Makes sense. Right. So basically, they, 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 sold, they bought the drugs in Mexico. Then they drove up to Los Angeles to sell the drugs to Phil Spectre, which was fucked up. Because isn't Phil Spectre in jail for murder? He's dead. Yeah. He's also He's dead. dead. But he... He was uh, on trial for killing his wife, right? Is that right? Not his wife. He brought uh, this girl, woman, Clarkson, into his home. He always liked to play with guns, and sometimes he just uses it like, what's his name, used it from um, Bunny and Clyde, and he would just kind of use it. That's why Yoko Ono hated him, because he produced um, uh, the first John Lennon solo album in 1970, uh, it, he would always carry a gun around the studio and Yoko would just go ape shit because he would have a loaded gun all around. And so they really disliked him for doing that. But he always used to carry guns and, and do little, you know, spin it around your finger kind of stuff. 
And so basically he, just a he met her in Pasadena and he brought this Clarkson woman home. And I guess he was making out with her. And he's like, what if I just, he put the gun to her head or something like the way he always carried a gun, but it went off and went right through her forehead. Oh God. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. So but he always had problems with guns. Had no problem yeah. buying that cocaine in this movie though. He was a strange guy. He's yeah. the guy that went to his high school reunion with bodyguards and sat at a table and people would come up and say, I'd love to just say hi to you. Remember we went to high school together and you'd have to wait in line to talk to him. He had a real issue with. Sounds, sounds cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he kind of looks, it's interesting because he's the guy who buys the drugs, right? But he looks like a douchebag. He really looks like a Hollywood douchebag, which is exactly what he was. Accurate. <laughs> So it's interesting. So he, they, anyway, they got a bunch of money from Phil Spector. And then from there, they drive cross country on their choppers, right? Through the South, mainly through the South, right? So I know exactly the route that they're quote unquote supposed to take. They're going from Los Angeles, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, and then obviously onwards, right? So uh they uh uh okay so as they go through there through there they uh are on their journey and they run into a hitchhiker who is known as the stranger or whatever in the credits he doesn't have a name but very who's also clearly somewhat of a hippie right the hippie thing is a big, big thing back then. Like this identified by people who don't have a haircut, like literally mm -hmm. I wouldn't be identified as a hippie because I shaved my head. Right. Uh, I am often you identified guys, as a hippie. <laughs> you would definitely be identified as a hippie, like pretty extreme hippie. Eric would probably be identified as hippie as well in this situation. So like, like unless you had a clean cut, like crew cut haircut, you were a hippie. And it's hey, like a man. bad. Right. Bad, bad deal, right? Right. So these guys are, are, are doing it, and they pick up this guy who is clearly also with it, wearing floral patterns, scarves, that kind of situation. Uh, and they help him out, and uh, he leads them to a commune that he's, uh, he's like, I need to, no, they drop him off at his place, which is a commune. Uh, and it's the hippie commune. This was also quite common in this area in this time to have these hippie communes where people were trying to live off the land situation, right? right? Um, and they are not doing well <laughs> at that. Right. No. <laughs> They're sowing seeds in sand. <laughs> they are throwing seeds in sand. And I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, we're just hoping we can get through. Like, it is not going well at all and but at the same time they're like artists and theater people and like there's no common sense going on here no common sense but they're like no 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 the land will provide and like nope it won't if you fucking throw seeds in sand you don't know what the fuck you're doing um <laughs> and uh, it's quite sad um but uh they try to you know they helped them out. They got their food. They eat their food. They, they share their bounty. And it's also a little bit of an expression of their, their free love, right? Their free love mentality is expressed mm -hmm. in this. 
where two girls who were obviously with other people say, like, oh, well, now we're going to be with you as well. Free sex, sexual revolution was sort of being expressed at that time as well. Right. Can I put, does that make sense? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. All right. Okay. All now, what's them. also all interesting about this is there's several things that happened that make this film like clearly not like Bonnie and Clyde or any other corporate film at all. It is shot haphazardly. Mm-hmm. Very handheld feeling to it. Also, they have these weird transitions they do, and they do it throughout the entire film, where when they go from one particular scene to another, and they want to try to, instead of, do, they, instead of doing a cut, you know, you would probably do something like a dissolve. Right. They don't they, do a dissolve. They do this cut, 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 cut. Where a they stutter do cut. Three or right. stutter cut between two different scenes, and it's jarring. Mm-hmm. And deliberate and gets your attention like yep. we're about to go someplace completely different right and they yep. do this stutter cut and it's it's awesome i don't know i loved it yeah well and it, it's the kind of it's the kind of thing that like if like if you like if you were a studio person you'd be like this is a mistake <laughs> like, yeah, you made like, a mistake it's good it's it's so it's so jarring and so sort of abrasive uh that uh that it's nothing like the studios never do anything like this and actually my favorite one is when he takes off the watch like where it's like, oh yeah, like it's, it's the ground. Like it's like he's taking it off, and it cuts into him taking it off, and zooms out while it's cutting into the future. And you're just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> like it's utterly bizarre. Right. Um, but it's meant to knock you off your feet, and it does very. It's know. supposed to like it gets your attention. It's like you're not just experiencing a normal cut that you don't even notice. We want you to notice this. Yeah, we want like, you to think about what you're important. seeing. Yeah, we want you. We want right. you to be aware of what you're uh, watching all the time. Right. They did so. Much drugging during that film, dude. I, that it's yeah, like so much. Oh, it's unbelievable. So I heard on the you read an Easy Rider where they cut and the cutting of the film. He goes to New Mexico, Taos, and it's just total like you know, total you know, just masculine every day. I mean, he's just right. lost his mind. No. Uh, yeah, Hopper Hopper was a fucking mess, man. Oh yeah, dude, crazy, crazy, insane. He, he that know. was around the time where he was on a flight from New Mexico, going back to L.A., and he's like, "I gotta get off, man!" And he climbed onto the wing <laughs> as he was taking off. Right? Like, come on, guys, <laughs> get your shit together! <laughs> Holy yeah. moly! Yeah, he's a loose cannon. He's a loose cannon. He's a loose cannon on Apocalypse Now. He's a loose cannon. Wasn't it well. so similar the way he's walking around that compound? It reminded you of um, Apocalypse Now. I know. Kurtz is just going to start throwing shit at him. <laughs> right. Hey, yeah, man. Hey, man. Right? Come on, man. If I could be a pair of ragged man. claws crawling across the boat. Right? Like, right? <laughs> so, like, hey, man. And the thing hey, is, like, man. his, like, his, uh, like, like the scene from, uh, like, scene from, uh, 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 so I married an expert. Like, hey, man. <laughs> Harriet. I got you picked that up Harriet. exactly when I said it. <laughs> sweet Harriet. <laughs> yeah. But, like, yeah, I think Hopper's really interesting in this movie. Like, cause it, like, he's directing the movie. The movie is, like, he's definitely taking advantage of whatever bizarre shit is happening around him. Um, yeah, but this, this, the thing is a fucking train wreck. Yeah. And, like, and so, like, it goes from scene to scene, like with no, 
explanations. I mean, some things happen so abruptly, like you have to sort of put it together in your mind and really. So maybe they went to <laughs> sort of like construct it for him. Um, at the same time, but like what's amazing to me is that even after all that chaos, it's still like, holy shit, this is what a brilliant movie, but it's a complete fucking accident. I, I, I agree. I think that, that that's, that's the, that's the curious thing about this movie. His later, his movie that he makes after this called the last movie is to me a much better yeah. made, more interesting movie. Like, I'm just like, that's a really fucking interesting experimental movie that he is clearly doing with a lot of purpose. And Easy Rider is just sort of like, like he's just throwing up his hands and they're getting whatever they can get. Uh, but it's oh, the same. But they got gold, dude. They got at the same gold. time what they get. And the ed- whoever edited this film together it deserves the biggest credit yeah. for making I this happen. You know, he and did. like, it, yeah, he was. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, like he did. I, I think he was heavily involved. It took a while, but he definitely was heavily involved in the editing of it. And he, um, it's an interesting thing. It's like, I look at that and it's like, um, you know, the way they got it done was, you know, they were friends from LA and here you put essentially the kid whose father is one of the most famous Hollywood actors in the world. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like this spoiled rich kid. I can get the money. It will make some of the executives a little bit easy because, um, you know, we got Peter in it and he has the connections if, in case things go south. Right. But it's a total wild card. The the drugging was so, because it was all real. All the drugs they took were real. Oh, so yes. it, it, it was just like. I just want to say that this ed- film was edited by Don, uh, uh, Don Camburn, <clears throat> who also edited the following. I'm not, don't look it up. Tell me what else he edited. I don't know the name. Five easy pieces. No. You guys are going to be like laughing your ass off. Grease. Empire Strikes Back. You are so close. (laughs) Romancing the stone. Oh, there you go. Nice. Nice. Oh, the Doobie Brothers broke up. Ghostbusters 2. There you go. Well, that makes sense. (laughs) But you know what? I think the cannonball run. Oh, yeah. You have to be in the union. Excalibur. I love Excalibur, dude. That's a great one. That's a bizarre yeah. movie. That's you have to writer. Be... It's like he should have been like the one of the greatest editors of all time. Yeah, he was up there with merch. But sure. the thing is, I, I know that Hopper was involved in the editing, really did. Sure. I know a guy, I used to design sets for him, and he became Abel's Farrar's editor for years, man. It's like the mid-90s. Jim was cutting, and I I saw his credit, but there's a lot of times he couldn't get the credit because he wasn't in the union, but he cut the film. Right. So the funeral, all those films, he was like involved in cutting the film, but he just couldn't do it. Well, it's like um, the Coen brothers, their editor's name is, um, shoot, I can't think of it. It's Roderick James. And Roderick James is them because the union won't let them credit two editors. That's right. So they're just like, nope, it's got to be a single person. So like Roderick James, like was nominated for an Academy Award. I'm like, the fuck gets up for that one? <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. Anyway, I want to sort of get it. Where, where were we? Um, uh, yeah, so the commune situation. <laughs> uh, and then they, there's a scene where they take the two girls and they go swimming, skinny dipping in a quarry. 
Uh, and what's interesting about that. It's such a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful scene. But what's interesting is that Peter Fonda was actually in a hospital when that was being filmed. So he is, if you look very carefully, you never see, they made, they did a really interesting editing and filming trick where there's like some legs and then you see Peter Fonda, but that was filmed at a different time and they made it all work. So it right, seems she's, like they're she's all pulling on his together. legs, but that's not actually him. That's funny. Right. That's so cool. there's actually some interesting little editing tricks that they did to make that happen. Uh, but anyway, that's the situation they're in. Uh, but then they keep going. They go back on their journey. They get back in a thing. And they have these incredible montage sequences of them driving with these motorcycles. And it is just breathtaking scenery. What's weird about it is having driven through that. And you actually did a drive not si- very just similar to that. Me and my eldest son went. Yeah. yeah. It looks the same. It? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it looks I kept the same. Thing, the, whole, the whole movie, I was just like, it's nothing has changed. Literally at all. It's it, it looks like Easy yeah. Rider. Like the, the, the car models are slightly different. Oh, I love that. I'd love to go and see that. Where did you guys, how did you, what did you just, do? Just, just, just go on I-10 or I-40, man. Yeah, you'll, straight you'll down to it. New Orleans, basically. Yeah. yeah. Straight through New Mexico. Yeah, I've done that, that drive. It's an incredible drive. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, and you can see it. Uh, this is, like, this is what made me, you know, like, I, Dan, you've known me for, for a while. You know, my, my, I went through a road trip that was similar to that. And that was the mm-hmm. thing that was like, I want to, <laughs> that's why I get so passionate about road trips. Your, like, your, your Texas experience, road trip is very, is iconic in your life, for sure. It's like, iconic it. in my life. It's an easy rider moment for me. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that thing that happened to me and it was a spring break of 1994. And you guys went, did the same thing. You went to the brothel and you, and you took, of course, you got to go to the brothel. Not, you're not dissimilar. The brothel was not involved, but I did some crazy I went through I went through Chilingua, Texas, which is where Paris, Texas starts. I went through uh, White Sands, New Mexico. I went through the VLA, which is where you know Contact was filmed. I did all kinds of random shit, man, on that trip, and it was like a four thousand mile trip that I did in 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 like five days, and it was amazing. It was amazing. Remember that old jazz song, "Meet Me in Chilinga." <laughs> Remember that? Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So the next part, next, next portion of this is uh, no. they end up in New Mexico where they're driving through a town that's having a parade and they take their bikes to sort of join in the parade and be sort of goofy, stupid assholes as they're doing that. And they get arrested for parading without a license, which is hilarious. Yeah, which exactly. happens. Uh, which happens. Which yeah, happens. like yeah, the cops are rolling up behind them. They're in, pardon me, they're on their bikes, and the, the cops just roll up. And the next thing you see is they're in jail. And I was just like, they're in jail. I, I was like, did they just like did they they had they didn't have that part written? Like I was just no. like, they, they just make them like I don't know what what would they be arrested for? I don't know. Well, they they, they yell it. It's like parading without a license, right? Like they literally yell it. It's like it's it's actually a pretty quick and good edit, honestly right. speaking. No, they get right to business uh, for sure. Yeah, they, they, they get in there, right? And then they meet someone else who's stuck in jail, who's a drunk guy, who they yell at at first for, you know, harassing them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who happens to be Jack Nicholson, who plays George Hansen. This mm-hmm. is the character's name. Uh, and it turns out that uh, even though they're yelling at him and upset because of all the whole situation, George Hansen. Says, oh, no, it's okay, guys. And then he gets out 
of jail because he tells the cops like, oh, I guess I must have really tied one on last night. Sorry about that, guys. I'm going to get out. And then it turns out that George Hansen just gets out of jail because he was just put in there in the drunk tank. Right. Right. And his, his uh, dad is like. Connected. A big deal. Like, don't deal. tell dad. Dad's a right. Dad's a big deal, right? And they're like, oh. And they're like, oh, sorry we yelled at you. You Maybe you can help us out. Right. And he's like, sure. And he happens to be a lawyer that we find out. And he gets them out of jail for their situation. Right. Um, and then they hang out with him for a little bit. And they're talking about how they're going to go on their trip. And it's like, Boy, I sure would like to go to Louisiana. He talks about a brothel, right? They done, isn't it that when yeah. he talks about the brothel? Right. Yeah. He says, Yeah, there's this amazing brothel in Louisiana. And he knows about it because like basically his dad goes there. You know, like his dad like, goes there. Yeah, it's right? like this is a really ritzy place. Yeah, if you have yeah, a lot of money. Fancy, you you, a lot of money you go, go you go to that brothel in Louisiana. I'd love to go to that. At, <laughs> at which point uh uh Peter Fonda or uh uh Wyatt says, um, well, do you have a helmet? <laughs> and he's he goes, got he's got his high school football helmet. <laughs> he's got his high school football helmet. Right, right. And he just looks the goofiest possible in that helmet, and it's awesome. I well, love what's, it. What's brilliant with Nicholson's character, right, is that he is he's comes from money. He's obviously he's bred to be like a middle like a middle manager kind of guy. He was like in high. He's probably like quarterback in, in on his high school team he's still got the helmet you know and he's so he's like this completely middle of the road uh you know you know sort of like podunk town rich guy high school jock dick and yeah. he's old enough now that he's With like a drinking problem now he's like he's supposed to be having a life and he's like there's no life to have i'm an alcoholic Life, none of this shit means anything. The more I practice law, the more ridiculous this all seems. And so he is, uh, so they're like, by including him, they're not just having the, 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 the get in touch with the earth hippie argument. They're like, this, this disaffectedness is a happening, is happening to everybody. Like, yeah. this is, he's, he's, this he's is regular America. To, he's bringing, but what's interesting about like, there was a great scene he's, he's when he's, when he, they're talking about, it's like, you seem like a good dude. And they look, and he looks at him and you've got to remember this is 19 seconds. Like dude, you mean like a dude ranch? And he goes, no dude. It means like a regular guy, a good guy. And <laughs> like, huh, you mustn't be from around these parts. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> dude means idiot. It, originally dude means moron. Like you, you don't know what the right. fuck you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it came, and came like, to not me. in California, California. It means like, Hey dude, what's hey, up? Hey dude. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like, I think that's like, that's the great, like you could have just had the, uh, the hit, like the hippies are right. And anyone in the suits part of the man and kind of like, that's the typical viewpoint of a lot of media of that time. Um, right. And instead by including Nicholson as the sort of like, he's a bit of a square, uh, and he feels the same thing that they feel like the country is fucked up and in yeah. a, in a, in a way that is both sort of undefinable and probably terminal. Right. And he's, he's just like, he's the Bonnie of this group, right? He's yeah. the smartest person in the room. Yeah. He's like, right. Right. And so, but Peter, it's interesting because it's very clear, which is so, it actually is a 
it's it not unlike apocalypse now it's kind of like the characters of the film and what was actually happening on set all make sense like billy is the fucking crazy one mm-hmm. who's always like talking crazy shit henry fonda who's what or sorry peter fonda who's white is the one who's like hey let's all just be cool and reasonable right. man let's just <laughs> right you know? yeah man and then yeah, suddenly I get it Nicholson is the one who actually memorized his lines. Right. <laughs> like exactly. actually says real things. <laughs> yeah. Right. He shows up. He's like, I'm an actor. I'm being paid. And these are the things I'm going to say. It's important. This is a story. And he's good at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he got nominated for an Oscar. I believe he won an Oscar for that one. <laughs> what, what, is the, what is the starometer on, of Nicholson at this point? Like how big is he? At Not low, 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 low. low? Yeah, yeah. This is before been, anything. Really, this is before any of the yeah. big stuff, right? Yeah, right. He was yeah. a writing partner, yeah. I think, with Fonda, that, and they were friends. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. He was he was fairly low. He wasn't quite big. <clears throat> now, now, obviously, Peter Fonda had his father's legacy to go with him. Right. Cachet. Um, he was a Hollywood kid. Yeah. He was a Hollywood kid, just as you said. But uh, I'm looking at the so uh, and, and nominated for two Oscars. No, wait. So, uh, nominee, yes. So, uh, Jack Nicholson was nominated for Best Supporting Role and then Best Writing and Story and Screenplay, which is ironic because most of it was just improv and what the fuck was going on, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, and Terry Southern. Yeah, Terry Southern uh, wrote uh, Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Strangelove, right. Yeah, there you go. So, so anyway, so that's where, where that all... And the thing is, like Henry Henry Fonda is like uh, a a straight laced American icon, you know. And uh, like I love Fonda, I love Henry Fonda; it's fantastic. Um, but he, like he, in all of his movies, he basically represents the uh, a non religious, liberal minded uh, purity of America as an ideal, and so like. He is the good man who makes hard decisions, and you know, like he's he is he is the uh, like an Atticus Finch kind of character in many of his mm-hmm. movies. Uh, and to hear what it was like to grow up being raised by him, like that was who he was, but that was also only who he was. Like he was not very much in touch with his children. He is like he was above all of that stuff. And, uh, and so like the, the disconnect that Peter Fonda is broadcasting throughout the entire movie is very literally how he feels about his dad. Uh, and like, there's just, there's this, some, there's this weird American ideal that I can't be a part of. And, uh, and he, and he very successfully communicates that with every line in the movie. And especially when the three of them come together with Nicholson, like, those things are verbalized clearly for the first th- for the first time in the movie, like the rest of it sort of right. vibes. But did, once did they... you ever hear that that story about what Hopper did to him in that cemetery scene? Oh, yes, no. I did. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to the cemetery. I can't scene. wait. That's juicy bit. Yeah. Okay. It's a very juicy bit. I know that story very well, but uh, very well. But let's get to uh, the the first thing that happens when they, they go uh, with. Um, with Nicholson uh, is that uh, they end up having to camp outside all the time because no one seems to want to accommodate them, which we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, 
we realize, obviously, that Nicholson is an alcoholic right from the start. And he does this hilarious thing every time he takes a sip of alcohol. He goes, nick, 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 nick. Right. Which is weird and funny. But that's his, that's his bit that he does. Right. So he does his sip of alcohol. And then uh, uh, Wyatt, uh, Peter Fonda, goes to him and he's like, oh, man, try this instead. And he hands him a joint. And he goes, oh, no, I got store-bought, thinking that he offered him a cigarette. And he goes, no, no, no. This is grass, man. He's like, you mean marijuana? And he's like, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to get hooked. It's you know, a gateway drug. Yeah, right. It's a gateway drug. <laughs> and I got problems already with the alcohol. So he already acknowledges his yeah, I'm a alcoholism. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so he's like, no, no, try it. You know, and so he does this. At which point, Hopper, who is probably in real life already stoned out of his mind, claims he uh. saw something buzzing across the sky, like right. some UFO. At which point, Nicholson does this entire conspiracy theory speech about aliens living amongst us. <laughs> so, that yeah. is so funny yeah, and totally good. like he makes it sound like completely believable because he just does it in this matter of fact, but what apparently the Venusians, <laughs> the Venusians and like how they're living amongst us and there's land they're living. The government knows all about it and this whole thing, but they can't let us know. About it. It's just this hilarious speech. And Hopper's just looking at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? At one point, Nicholson bursts out laughing, which apparently was an outtake that right. they kept in there. And then they cut to him continuing the speech from right. a different take, but the, basically referring to like, Oh, we'll keep the laugh in there because we want people to realize that he, he knows this is all bullshit. Bullshit. It's all bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Really, really funny. Yeah. No, it's great. You know, like, yeah. Was that improv on his part? No, the, the laughter was just an outtake, but he was online. Apparently Nicholson was like incredibly precise reading his lines. Right. So and everyone um, else is like, we have lines. <laughs> yeah. Oh my like God. Hopper is like, I'm just fucking stoned the whole time. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. All, all I can ever think about with Hopper is when is the line from uh, uh, Hearts of Darkness when uh, Coppola is talking about him. It's just like I got the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. It's just like I got Marlon shows up and he's like a hundred pounds overweight, and over here I got crazy fucking Dennis Hopper. <laughs> like, yeah, hold on, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Always this case with Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty nuts. So, yeah, but- yeah, yeah. But he was like that in the fifties, apparently, like with other sure. directors. No, because he's really... in um, he's in um, Touch of Evil, uh, and you can tell that he's like he's already. He's oh, already is he one fucking... of the gangsters in? He's that? one of the gangsters. I, I, if I'm remembering it correctly, I believe he's one of the gangsters in Touch of Evil. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. he was banned by directors. Oh in yeah, the 50s. he's fucking yeah. He's, he's fucking, then, I can't imagine uh, trying to work with that guy. Dean Martin movie he was in. Oh, and they kicked him out. They said the eighties. Well, he was so he was blackballed after. Yeah, man, oh man, I can't imagine what a fucking pain in the ass that would have to be to work with a dude like that. We're just like, oh, dude, we're just trying to fucking shoot a movie, and here you are. Like, I mean, I mean, Coppola is asking for it when you know, like, he knows who Dennis Hopper is when he hires him, and then he's pissed that he's Dennis Hopper. <laughs> he just like, well, hey man, this is a, this is this is what you ordered. <laughs> Don't have the Dennis Hopper. Like, that's a problem. Unbelievable. But he he lived in Venice for a long time, right? He was down down the street. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's a, he's a local uh, local legend, and I think that Hopper really does. He becomes a pretty interesting director. 
he doesn't do tons of work, but when he makes movies, he's but he like, was he was a fucking bad boy, man. He was oh, yeah, insane. He, yeah. Parties and uh, the violence. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's a story about how he was didn't trust the cameraman on Easy Rider, and he wanted to get all the cans of films stored in his room because he didn't trust them. And he got into this fight with a cameraman about it, and they burst through hotel rooms into other like it was like this full on fight. You know, Jesus Christ, what a fucking nightmare! Like, it's yeah. hard enough to it's hard enough to film a movie to begin with, and then Dennis Hopper's there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a real problem. But yeah. he, but he is like he's very very good in the movie, and he's very naturalistic. Like he can't help but be himself. Uh. No, he, uh, he very he, he smoothly. Is, he, yeah. I, he is the person that that Billy is Billy, and Billy's a problem. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like he's yeah, he's so, paranoid. Billy's a problem, and I love that yeah. how he oscillates between being like jokey, 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 mad at you. Like it's like yeah, he's a child. Where, yeah, he's like he's like a little kid. Yeah, you know, and uh, and like yeah, he's like I think he's great. I think they're all great in the film, but I'm like I think that it's it's great that they bring Nicholson in because Nicholson is much more of a lens for the. Uh, for the theme of the film, you know, and he he yeah. actually gets to say stuff out loud that the movie is like hinting at, but the, but he can bring into focus. And that's also should starts. be noted that that Peter Fonda's character, who's played Wyatt, he's got his crazy chopper, which is pretty extreme, and the tank on it is paid uh, painted in the American flag, right? And his jacket has the American flag, and they nickname him Captain America, Captain America, America right? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is very interesting as well. It's mm. like, this is America, right? right? And they're going through the heartland of America and being rejected by yeah. everyone around them. Yeah, because right. I mean, like, uh, uh, Hopper's dressed like, you know, a cow, Custer, basically. He's dressed, basically dressed like Custer, you know? And so, right. like, all this uh, American imagery and, like, America won't have them. Like, yeah. right. You know? Yeah. And and no one explains this to them. It's just true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there's no so, scene where uh, it is true. Or, he's like Custer. Yeah, he looks like Custer. Yeah. And so like he's, uh, and like and so there's like every scene. There's no scene where like there like someone comes up and says you're not welcome here. You know, it's just they aren't. Oh, pretty close to that though. Yeah, yeah I mean like pretty close yeah, to that. they like they there's a scene the diner scene, but they're not talking. Well, to them. Yeah. Okay. So that's an important part. So, so let's see. So how do we get to the diner scene? So I believe they have that conversation about that and they keep driving. Um, I'm not remembering for something, but they keep going and then they, they end up getting to try to get something to eat. They've, they've been rejected by several places. They try to get to a hotel as they pull up to the hotel, like a motel, the guy opens the door they're like, hey, man, you got a room? And the guy closes a door and turns the no no vacancy sign on, like yeah. literally in front of them. Yeah. Like, that, like they don't they, exist. Exactly. Like that. Right. Nothing, like yeah. you, you are, you might as well be, you know, this is the 1960s, yeah. but it, it might as well be a black person. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. In the just 1950s. Like, nope. Nope. You look like a bunch of hippies and hippies are evil and bad. Right. Yeah. So they show up at this diner, which is supposed to be Texas, I believe, Louisiana. And they're trying to get a bite to eat, regular diner. And the people, by the way, who are portrayed in that diner, they're all people that were local to that town, mm-hmm. honestly speaking. They, and wait. they agreed to be part of the film. And it's like, we have, you know, 
what you want you to look at these guys and say, hey, these guys are no bad, no good, and say derogatory things towards them. And in order for them to get more visceral reaction towards these people, mm-hmm. Dennis Hopper told them these in the film in the ne- before these guys just raped and killed a girl in the town before that. Oh, that right. is supposed okay. to make them feel like, Oh, we really got to fucking hate these guys. Right. right. But in reality, in the film, they did nothing. They did nothing like that. They're just wow. right. Right. So he made the people in the town react the way they did by telling a different narrative to make them seem That's even so more nuts. visceral. Right. 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 That's interesting. That's very, uh, to do that's pretty cool yeah so these guys are very authentic they were like they they seem like you know oh they're locals for sure you can tell by they're local people non-actors even the guy there like the guy with like kind of the slanted forehead yeah yeah who's kind of weird looking i like Uh, i i love seeing that in movies man when you when you're really using like this is bring up sugarland express has a lot of this like those are obviously like does have a lot of that in there yeah but this again, like the, 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 my having lived in Texas and seeing that those scenes like that upsets me mm-hmm. because it, and we'll get to this in a second, but it upsets me because it portrays the South as this primitive place. Yes. Right. That yes. is dangerous and bad. Right. right. And the, if you have lived in the South, the South knows that that's how it's being portrayed. And that makes it worse. One hundred percent. Yeah, because you build right? a straw man as to what you are. You basically at. say, you know, like, and and when I came to California, and people like Texas, those fucking idiots in Texas, like, yep. you realize what you're doing? Yeah. By constantly you, you saying the message that you're saying about Texas, you're making it worse. And there are people in Texas are very nice people. Yep. They just don't like being portrayed that way. Yeah. I mean, like right? it's the, the and, cartoonification of your enemy is the, is the basic problem that we always face. Right. Yeah. And so what, so in a sense that, that, that cafe scene was very upsetting and it should be, it is extremely upsetting scene, but almost is like, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Like, You're yeah. creating the situation. Yeah. Like, cause right? I, I mean, we, we've talked about it many times before, but it's just like when the, there's a, it's like one of my favorite writers is Umberto Eco, right? And he wrote uh, The Name of the Rose and um, uh, right. what do you call it? Foucault's Pendulum. And one of his key themes is the relationship between, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the Inquisition and the heretic, right? Mm. And that the Inquisition uh, uh, has to see the heretic as the most extreme offense against God. Uh, possible. So the stories they tell about them are are beyond human, right? And that's so it justifies them trying to control them. And then the heretics play into that because they see the Inquisition as the great enemy that's trying to destroy them and all their family. And so they act, they react in extreme ways. And the, when they react in extreme ways, that justifies to the heretic rather to the inquisition what the inquisition is doing and his basic idea is like this is the relationship that we fall into all the time like you have your point of view or your uh ideology or your belief system and then in that belief system is an enemy right say 
the Republicans or the Southerners or whatever it is. And, uh, and you, uh, treat them like they're deranged maniacs. Uh, so when they respond to you, they respond with incredible anger that you then use to justify your demonification of them. Yeah. And, and, and this is the, like, so you have these essentially one side, each side creates the other by creating more and yeah. more of a straw man. And, uh, right. and so the representation, because like my, that's my, also my experience. Like if I'm from the North, I'm from the Northeast originally. Um, but I've ended up spending, you know, a fair amount of time in the Midwest and in the South. And I have never, I've, the hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people I've met, I've never met anybody who is less than perfectly like normal and kind as I would find anywhere. Like, I don't expect yes. people to be, you know, deranged, moron, aggressive, nasty assholes. And when I was, um, uh, and this is like, you know, I'm a super crazy leftist crackpot. There it is. I'm out in Montana and uh, shooting a film. And I was eating every day at a diner uh, near the place I was staying where there was a huge Trump banner above the diner. And everyone knows them just by looking at me that, like, I'm probably at minimum a Democrat, uh, let alone everything else. Um, yeah, you're Dennis Hopper. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not, like, I am as hippie as it comes. Um, but because I was just, I, I didn't treat them like they were dicks. Like, we ended up in conversations where I would disagree with them, but we had real open conversations about stuff. And uh, over the months that I was there, I was like, you know, we've got, I became friends with a lot of these folks. And then I'm just like, and then by, by that happening, you can like, they're like, Oh, well, you're not the way I'd expect you to be. And I'm just like, well, I don't know what you expect me to be, but I'm a person. <laughs> you know, And, uh, and you'd be able to communicate ideas that, you know, like you just go, yeah, but from this point of view, you see this and they're like, no, I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from because there's an actual dialogue, you know, but when you uh, go on Facebook or you see in the movies, you know, the representation of people, you know, like here's Texas. Oh, well, they're all, all of them are racist, ignorant, violent, uh, hateful, well, deceitful morons. Right. You know, that causes okay. the problem. So, 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 so here's the thing, right? So here's the thing. Let's just put it in context. They go into the cafe. There's a bunch of people that are obviously uh, local authorities right that are basically making a comment on about them being hippies like to them hippies are like 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 what we would call trump supporters like like the oh my god these pieces are horrible right their hair i heard men make out with men probably i don't tell it because he's got long hair i don't know if it's a girl or a boy right they are being really making outrageous comments right. about them and making them really uncomfortable juxtaposed to that one booth down are six young teenage girls mm-hmm. that are just talking about how hot they are yeah right and how they want to ask them out are those right? the Which, girls they hopper told them to no like, okay hopper told them what oh the, the rapes the they're the characters are rapists like it, oh they, no, they, no 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 what are they yeah I, you're uh, so that I'm that probably sure, influenced. Their I'm sure that probably influenced their yeah. their their dialogue because right. all their dialogue is 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 improvised. Right, those guys, right? Yeah, and and it's and he told so them. The, yeah. yeah, I'm sure he told them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. 
but the girls are like, oh, he's so cute and blah, blah, blah. And I like the guy in this. And th- these, and by the way, they just come off the road. They haven't showered. They're unshaven. They're sweaty. They just want to get, you know, some eggs and bacon and move on. Right? right. But they can't even do that. They, they are not welcome. And so they get on their bikes. It's like, we should just get out of here. Right. Just get out of here. Right. right. They get out of there and all the girls are like, oh, can I get a ride? Can I get a ride? And they're, and they're like, nope, let's just get out of here. At which point, they end up back in the wilderness for <laughs> another uh, of their camping scenarios, unlike like the ones, which brings up the the greatest the greatest little dialogue of all time, which I've saved here because I think this is the most important this, thing. This is that Nicholson's in the whole bit? Movie. Nicholson's lines? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So George Hansen, who's Nicholson, and Billy, who's uh, Dennis Hopper, right? George Hansen says, and they're sitting there in the fire, in the fire, and he goes, you know, this used to be a hell of a good country. I can't understand what, what's gone wrong with it. And I've listened to that line, and the way he said it, I'm like, you could say that today. Yep. Yep. Same. same yeah. exactly. Right? Right? And then Billy says, man, everybody's got chicken. That's what's happened. Hey, you can't even get into a good second-rate hotel. I mean, second-rate motel. You dig? <laughs> they think they're gonna cut. Uh, they think we're gonna cut their throats or something. They're scared, man. Now, if you think about that, what that line is, what he said, mm-hmm. he's talking about hippies being violent, etc. Yeah, like you could say the same thing today about some guy with a big Trump flag behind exactly. his motorcycle. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah, it doesn't like, matter what side of the like, conversation yeah, like they, they must be murderous, dangerous, crazy Murderous people, and dangerous, right? right? right. As this, at which point, George Hansen says, they're not scared of you. They're scared of what you represent to them. Yes. yes. Which, again, yes. is the same thing you exactly. could say today about Yes, that's where well, we're left wing people thinking about Trump people, yes. right? And vice versa. I mean, like this and is vice the, versa. This is, the, this is the issue. It's like neither side is e- each side po- pretends that they're the only humans in America, mm-hmm. and uh, and the other side is uh, like literally 150 million uh, sociopathic, deranged, crazy people who want to destroy your life, and both sides right. think this. And and, I, and I've said it before. Statistically, that's improbable. Right. That that half of the country is murdering We're just maniacs. Not listening to each other. We're just yeah. not listening to each other. Like okay. there's well, no. That, so like they're, they're, so just to be clear, I'm not saying there aren't. There's is a shitload of problems with racism, homophobia, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that we're mad about, mad for a reason. But yeah. Uh, but but what we are doing is not helping. Right. And then here, okay, keep going. Just keep going. Because this, yep. this, this dialogue is incredible. Yeah. It's like, hey, man, all we represent to them is somebody who needs a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He says, no. And George Hansen says, oh, no. What you represent to them is freedom. It's freedom. This is the greatest line in the whole movie coming up. This is fantastic. Yeah, it, get, it, gets, it gets so much. It's so good. He goes, what the hell's wrong with freedom? That's what it's all about, says Billy. And George Hansen says, okay, I'm going to cry. All right. <laughs> it's so good, dude. Oh, Go yeah. For it. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's what it's all about. All right. 
but think about it being just two different, th- uh, but thinking about it and being it, that's two different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's real hard to be free when you're bought and sold in the marketplace. Of course, don't ever tell anyone that they're not free because they're going to just get real busy killing and maybing to prove to you that they are. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're going to talk to you and talk to you and talk to you about, the in, about individual freedom. But when they see a free individual, they're going to, they're going to scare, it's going to scare them. Yes. 100%. One. Billy says, well, don't, uh, don't make them run and scared. Uh, it, makes uh, it, it, it don't make them, it don't, uh, sorry. It don't make them running scared. No. It makes them dangerous. It makes them dangerous. Exactly. Exactly. That I uh, listened to that line and the way it's delivered is obviously way better than I read it. But I'm like, oh my God, we haven't fucking it's changed a bit. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. That's yeah. It's it's and the thing is like again, you can read this from like it applies both directions. Like yeah. this this is this is uh, it's very clearly true, you know, when you talk about like because like for instance, like if you tried to say to some transphobic, homophobic, racist fellow um, that you are trying to take away, like, listen, my, my friend, you're trying to take away someone's rights. Uh, you know, you're trying to take away someone's freedom uh, because by living, you know, by being truthful about who you are, that is being free, right? By saying, I am gay, I am trans i'm whatever like that's actually expressing freedom really for real and Mm -hmm. uh the way it is received that freedom to them is horror because it's like they want like ever everyone wants themselves to be free because they're not afraid of themselves they're afraid of everyone else being free right you know and like like it says that makes you dangerous so so to me you know, it was interesting to pair those two scenes because at the same time I saw the, the, the cafe scene as like the portrait of evil, right? right? Put into the dialogue that, that, that Hopper like fed, you know, or, or well, baited or it, gaslit, it, gaslit yeah, those it, guys it, into it, saying, right? It, it, in order it to is. create, in order to create the character he needs, which is villainous Southerners, he has to lie to actual Southerners about their motivation so they come across as villainous. That's and really was, wild. That's really wild if you think about it, right? right? So he did that. And to me, as someone who, like, you can't portray people from the South this way. And this is something that really upsets me, right? Like, I actually, like, listen, Mark Twain came from the fucking South. Like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, we can't just portray them as toothless idiots who ride horses, it's right? David Duke came from the South. Yeah, like there's lots of fucking morons. Like there's Actually. no two. Like wait, we can't. Well, like you can't say there's no morons. There's morons. Well, like, I'll, I'll this way. However, <laughs> I, listen, listen. But you know, Eric, Eric knows my my history. It's not dissimilar from from his. You know, but from northeastern Connecticut cocktail party. You know, upper middle class, whatever people up there that are doing this, and you know, I'm there with my fiance or wife at the time it was either engaged or, or newly married and and this older connecticut woman meets my 
my wife and says, oh, where are you from? And she goes, well, I'm, I'm from Houston. She goes, oh, but you speak so well. Oh, you're so articulate. <laughs> As like, Thank this you. is, th and this, this, this sort of put this vitriol reaction to her, like, because she expects, she expects people to be from the South that is portrayed in Easy Rider. That's the problem, right? right? Well, the inference that's is sort like, of when I had the Bonnie and Clyde problem too, where it's like, they're all seen as uneducated and barely can get their thoughts together, right? Right. Like they can't. I mean, I think that, feelings. I think that, I think they, in Bonnie and Clyde, they're a little more even handed across the board with everybody. Like yeah. every, everybody is, is downplayed, but it, like it is, it is something like, for instance, as we can get into later with Easy Rider, like the, like the, the evil force of the South is hick morons like the and dangerous. You know, like they are the actual, like they're like, it's like a, a, a landscape filled with murderers basically. Right. Uh, and, and they are, and they are. <laughs> and, uh, and so like the, so like it gets, it's like, it's the difference between like, for instance, I love John Borman's movie deliverance, right? But right. deliverance provides a very fine line of how it treats people from Appalachia because all you're seeing is uh, uh, from you're only seeing even when you see completely norm, no, like normal people that live there you're seeing it exclusively from the point of view of these uh, uh, you know sort of like uh, you know rich middle rich to middle class white men who are going to you know, go river rafting or whatever um, and then they get brutalized by some crazy uh, Hicks and like the movie is very careful to show you that these four white guys that go up there like are their own brand of violence to this community right they balance it because they're so full of themselves and they're so dismissive all the time and they're they act like everything is theirs that when you when the movie finally gets to well here here's the people you don't want to meet in Appalachia uh, the movie feels like it's balanced. Easy Rider is not balanced. Easy Rider wants to go like, yeah, but the, you know, when you look at the Borman film with Deliverance, their confidence and that is their cultural, you know, strength in order to provide and do things. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff that you look at and the bravado that they have that from their culture is a survival mechanism you know that's how they move oh, ahead for sure so, I mean, like, and like, so you know everyone has their has their mechanisms mechanisms right yeah. exactly. that's, that's what i mean that's what i mean the movie is balanced because then like none of them are portrayed as like ned Beatty isn't a bad person right but he is more than happy to just fucking utterly dismiss you know like some dude who's trying to help him out you know it's just like well you're you're just some appalachian hick and so i'm going to be oh. dismissive I should, I should note that Lupacora, you oh. all know Lupacora, oh, yeah. uh, said it actually, if he was on Martini Giant, he would want to do Deliverance with us. It's, it's a, I, mean, I, would love to, I would love to see Lou anyway. That'd be great. But yeah. Yeah, Lou and Deliverance would be fantastic. But um, yeah, like, I think that that's the thing. Is like that, movie, that movie is balanced. It's very sensitive to how it balances that. Uh, versus like Easy Rider is like, if you're from the South, you are a dangerous racist monster. Or you're an anti you're an anti hippie, uh, well, evil. Monster here's the thing. Creature. I'm gonna well hold on, hold on, hold on. Because I did feel this that way from the from the from the cafe scene, mm -hmm. and obviously in the ending, which we'll get to. Mm -hmm. But what I thought was brilliant was 
Nicholson scene that contextualizes it. Oh yeah, without a doubt. In a way, yes, that does not say good versus evil. It tells right. you why why they're acting this way, why the they're why, acting this why way, this and happened. why you need to, by the way, be conscious of them. Like right. you need to understand their point of view because otherwise. You're going to make it worse it's for yourself. Going to, Do you think this make was, it worse a lot yourself? of that, too, is a parallel to the way we're in Vietnam? I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure oh, they're, they're yeah, very I'm conscious sure of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Vietnam, obviously, one of the most famous disasters in history. But, like, like people forget that, like, we were supporting the uh, North Vietnamese yeah, we're supporting the Taliban. Exactly. Like, like, like. This is like. It's. I mean, like, like. It, it's like these are. Uh, it's all just because you know, like, if you're, you are programmed to start thinking a certain way that you start reacting a certain way, and uh, once you start acting that way, it's hard to get out of that 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 circle. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like for for Nicholson, I think you're absolutely right. Like, it's like without without the Nicholson scene, I think it's the great scene in the film. Then the movie's pointless. It's the greatest. It's like that's the greatest scene. It's the it's the yeah. scene. It's the most important scene, and it's a scene that we should look at today. And it's like, oh fuck, we never learned. We yeah. never learned. Yep. And we never had. And the thing is, like I brought this up in the beginning of the episode. I'm just like, the it's so insanely frustrating to me how successful uh, greater corporate interests are, uh, which are not humans. They are machines uh, at making us fight each other like like we are fighting for the corporations against the poor in when we think we're doing the opposite constantly and it and it blows my mind how manipulated we are all the time i'm like why why do we have poor one word for you Mm -hmm. walmart (laughs) exactly nah it's just like like Like, like, people like people are defending everything. Walmart, which is the people that are defending Walmart is who's the defending company Walmart? that's fuck the people in the South that are dealing yeah, with sure. the specific issues are defending Walmart that is making their lives miserable and yeah. ruining their health care and getting lowering their wages. Yeah. Like they're they're part of a, a cycle that's making their lives worse, right? For sure. Now is this something in the news? No, like let's talk like like for instance, the mechanism that he's talking about is like you will get um you'll get uh lower class people to vote for uh say uh this this law that will help out small businesses because that's what it's all about, right? And so everybody does. And then the turns out the law was actually designed by large corporate interests because there's no differentiation between the effect on small businesses for this law and Walmart who actually can exploit this law to destroy those small businesses and uh, lower the cost of its workforce, lower the cost mm. of the work, right. you know, like that's like, right. that's, and then, that's and, the kind and, of shit that the, happens constantly. The irony is like, is like, okay, so now you've got like the Walmart situation and then you got the Amazon situation and it's like, Oh my God. Okay. I'm not going to get to it. Okay. Amazon Amazon's the liberal just, version of Walmart. It's the same, same, yeah, fucking uh, it's the same fucking problem. It's the, yeah. It's the worst. Like we, okay. we are, we are all getting scammed, and they're making us fight. So it feels like we're fighting something, and it's not, so we're not doing it right as, each other. <laughs> right as Jack Nicholson explains, this is what's going to happen. They're going to be violent and kill you. Mm-hmm. Moments later, they get violent and beat up 
and all three of them and end up killing Jack Nicholson. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, right. I mean, which is brilliant, really. Like, yep. he's the person that should, like, that's the way movies work, mm -hmm. right? And that's the good way that they work. Yep, it's like, that's the right beat. That's the right beat. And mm -hmm. that's the way that happens. But then they sort of like, they'll take his thing and return it to his parents and they just leave him there. They don't really solve that problem. They don't need to solve it. Right. They were too high when they filmed this thing to figure out the logistics of everything. Right. They just move on. <laughs> yeah. Right. But the point is basically Jack Nicholson's character is killed. They feel horrible. They move on. They go to Louisiana to continue to continue the journey. Right. Right. And they're going to go to, uh, so Louisiana is portrayed during Mardi Gras. It's an interesting scenario. And they're running around and they need, it's like, we got to do the, and they, uh, oh, also cool. They have a fancy meal, which I thought was cool. Right. right. Like right. in Louisiana, yeah. they can get the fancy meal, right? Because they obviously have plenty of money. Remember, yeah, they they're, got they're the loaded. Money. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're, they're right. loaded with the cocaine money. They can't get a good motel. That cocaine money. <laughs> they can get the they can get the, the, the fancy, you know, the 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 uh uh what's Emer Lagasse or whatever his name. Remember what's his name? Bam! What's his right. name? Right, yeah, no, it's uh, Emerald, right? Emerald. Yeah, Emerald. Yeah. Right. They can get like that kind of restaurant. They can go there and have their fancy meal, which they do. And then they get all cleaned up. So in Louisiana. In New Orleans, which, by the way, I can acknowledge, New Orleans is a much more everything goes kind of city. Have you <laughs> been, been to New Orleans, Dan? I have never been to New Orleans. I have never been yeah. to New Orleans. I've never been to Louisiana. It's a great city. It's a great city. I love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it, yep. love it. Yep. And I don't love it for the reasons that other people love it, which is like the Bourbon Street drunken sure, the nest. pearl. Uh, right. Yeah, I can't sure. do that. I like it for the side streets and the random things, right? Yeah. There's some stuff in the French Quarter, which is amazing. And you have to kind of go around and find those things. And it's and And while every, like, you, Bourbon Street and the, the, the crazy, stupid stuff that's going on there, you can walk through it every now and then. And it's fine, but um, oh, I go nuts. Forget well, it. But, <laughs> like, but, I think it's what, like this, going to the. You know, uh, granted, granted, I was a younger person, but I just ended up in a fucking crazy uh, music jazz bar, uh, the like not far from Cafe du Monde in the square, and it was an incredible experience. It was right. amazing, uh, and and I uh, I don't know. So I okay. So when I one of my experiences in in New Orleans, I'm, it, this is a little this is. Go for it. Uh, actually related to, to them wandering around Bourbon Street, which is in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, but I was, uh, we started off in the morning and I said, I want to get some, some, uh, you know, uh, I want to get a, 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 a cafe au lait and a beignet, a cafe du monde, right? Which is the best thing, the best thing in the world. Just get it, do it, whatever it takes. I get love beignets there. and I've never had a beignet from there, which I've, which means I've never had a beignet. <laughs> you never had a beignet. Yeah. You, well, no, you you can go to France and get a beignet, but sure. a New Orleans beignet is a different class of beignet, right? Yeah, Which is basically the French And it's different than Richard Beignet, the 70s actor. Oh, a Dickie Beignet. You get, basically, you get a beignet oh, and a café au lait, and you go there, it's like, that's it. You just did it. You just, you just get it, right? So we did that, and it was like amazing. At which point... This is when I was much, much younger, uh, and uh, it was uh, it, w it was me and my wife and another couple, and we were we were like, 
all right, what do we do from here? And it's like, well, okay, well, let's find a place we can get a Bloody Mary kind of situation because, you know, that's where we were at that situation. We're much like Jack Nicholson's character then. Yeah. Amen. And sure. so we wandered around and it was still maybe like 10 o'clock in the morning, maybe something like that. And we found this, we wandered up, we ended up wandering up into Bourbon Street, but it was still pretty empty. We found this bar and uh, it, all the bars are 24 seven there. Right. So <laughs> wild, yeah. wild. And so we go into this bar and we're like, Hey, can we get a bloody Mary? And he goes, absolutely. And so he makes us these unbelievably good bloody Marys. And we're like, we are good. Mm-hmm. We are good. We're sitting here and we're, it's that situation where you sit at the bar with your good friends mm-hmm. and you chat and you have a very attentive bartender. Mm-hmm. We were the only people at the bar at the start. And as we sat there for many, many hours, the bar slowly, slowly filled up. But we had the primo spots right. and the primo attention from the bartender, right? Mm-hmm. And I do remember at one point, it was like around lunchtime. It wasn't quite full yet, right? <laughs> uh, but we we're like, well, we should get some lunch. And the guy's like, but and we realized, oh, this bar doesn't have food. And the guy says, no, 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 don't go anywhere. Sit down. <laughs> we'll keep and you he's here. like, you tip well. We'll keep you here. <laughs> and he's like, let's get some po' boys. Po' boys uh, is yeah. the mm-hmm. New Orleans version of a sub sandwich, right? Yep. And we got delicious. like, you know, you know, po' boys are, we got oyster po' boys mm-hmm. and different <laughs> like that. Wow. Like so good. Shrimp delicious, delicious, delicious po' boys that he ordered for us and just put it on our bill, right? Like just like from another place. So it was delivered to us, nice. right? Nice. And we just, and then we were like, we got some po' boys, we continued, and we were there for a while. For a full 24 a long, hours. A <laughs> long time. Like, we barely moved from That's that amazing. place at That's all. Amazing. And then by the time we got out, I was like, oh, this shit's a fucking nightmare. It was like all these people and, the, yeah. you know. It's by the way, uh, the, this was mm, uh, 1999 or so. Sure. Like, pretty much Bourbon Street was... Uh, at that point, like Mardi Gras, people are uh, throwing beads and flashing boobs every day of the year, right? Which is ridiculous if you think about it. Uh, so but anyway, it, I, I'm all right with it. It's just <laughs> throw me some just, beads, find just, out what happens. <laughs> it's just, it's just ridiculous. It doesn't need. You know, it's just, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyway, I had a great time. Love New Orleans, and and it, the city is actually quite beautiful. It's got some amazing stuff. Uh, I didn't, I haven't been there since Katrina, so I don't know what's happened uh, since then. But right. uh, okay, in the movie, uh, they get their great meal. They go to and they clean themselves up and shave, and they look all clean cut. Mm-hmm. Quote, unquote, clean cut. They don't shave By their, comparison, yes, they, right. By comparison. They're, they don't have any, uh, they don't have the big whiskers on the side, right? Uh, and they end up, decide to go to the brothel that uh, Nicholson had talked about, yeah. Right. Gone to. And uh, they're quite drunk at this point, and there's a bunch of religious stuff at the Paintings, brothel. sculptures. Paintings, frescoes, religious it's frescoes. so cool, though. Yeah, it's beautiful. Soap is, yeah, it's wild. I liked it. I this, it. Is, this is a, filmically, this whole section from the moment they get to New Orleans is my favorite part of the movie, just filmmaking wise. 
Yeah, like it's the most beautiful. It's the most sort of personal. The graveyard is the graveyard stuff is great. The streets get to the graveyard uh, like, stuff. It's very very important graveyard stuff. And yes. like the 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 way they're shooting the material on this, it's obviously all just you know, run and gun shooting. Like there's no permits involved. All the film that they're shooting at night is heavily pushed, so it's ultra green. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the look is Very just gritty. terrific. Beautiful. It's all beautiful. 16 mil, right? They're like, yeah. it's all just handheld. Yeah, like, it looks amazing. Shoot and go, that's shoot that's and the go. best looking stuff. And this Laszlo Kovacs. Kovacs. Yeah, Kovacs did the. Uh, yeah. He was oh, huge. Was the yeah. And, and, and this. And they used really all existing lighting on everything. Yeah. On almost everything, including the they, night scenes. Like all that. existing lighting and all existing acid. All exi- all of it. They used all of that. Yeah, for sure. Pretty much the whole city. <laughs> there was there was a scene. There was a scene where Hopper gets into a confrontation with a black guy. Like obviously they bumped into each other and they started like ah. Right. And uh, you can tell that it was like, oh, that's a real person. That's a that's real a deal. Real person. That's a real. Yeah, because his hands were up in the air. Into- like, hey yeah, man. Yeah. yeah like yeah yeah. This dude, uh, Kovacs, uh, shot um, five easy pieces, Ghostbusters, yep. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like, the guy's pretty goddamn great. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I think the movie photographically doesn't really take off until the third act. Like, that's when right. they, like, there's lots of beautiful landscape shots as they're riding and all that stuff, and that's all great. Yeah. Uh, but, like, <laughs> just the interpersonal photography in the third act is really, really wild and very insane. Yeah. Insane. Insane. So, uh, uh, they, Sorry, they're at the brothel. They meet two prostitutes. Uh, Hopper's character, Billy's character, is like, "Hey, man, let's do this." And then um, uh, Peter Fonda's character is like, "I'm just doing this because my friend told me to do this with this other prostitute." And then, and then Hopper's too drunk to make any decisions, but Fonda's decision is like, "Let's just go outside to have a good time." At which point they experienced the bourbon street scenario at mm-hmm. least from the 60s right and which is where all this existing photography happens what i love mm-hmm. also about it is that it starts off at night as you said very very grainy and then goes into the day mm-hmm. which means they just been all wandering night. bourbon street all, all night. night yep right yep. great so you really get the sense of like they're just fucking wandering and poking dead possums like this, like we're, you yeah. know, that they're, they're just wandering around, right? Yeah. Obviously had a lot to drink, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, although the girls <laughs> said that they don't drink. Right. What's that? Right. Yeah. No, just Tony like Basil. Are- that was Tony Basil, wasn't it? I don't know. I think that was Tony Basil, who not only was a singer at one point, that she's in five easy pieces because Raffleson was one of the producers, oh, right. but she also was a dance te- uh She was a choreographer. I think she did like Paul Abdul and uh, oh, Jason wow. said That's something what? about Tony Basil. What? 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 Okay, that's go what I'm saying. Uh, like, go ahead, Jason. What? What's? What's the story about Tony Basil? Eric, that's what I'm saying. Sorry. Who, who do you want right. to talk? You do. You do, because Jason's on chat, so he can confirm oh, what you're saying. Yes, it's Tony Basil, who basically was um, an actress, and she was also a dancer and a singer. And um, she also came out with a song in the early 80s. But I know that she did a lot of work choreographing for other artists right. and singers. And, and the, other, the other woman is uh, Karen Black. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, right. So like yeah, it's a it's a it's a wild crowd. So yeah. apparently, okay. So the, the the rumor is, although apparently the people denied it, is when uh when um uh Hopper was fighting with the guy over the reel that he wanted to keep in his room. 
and he burst. He like they they fought and tackled each other and burst into a room at a motel. Mm. That the room in a motel had uh, Peter Fonda and uh, what's her name Black. Darren um, Black. Yeah. Darren Black were in the were in bed together mm-hmm. when they burst through the room. <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe I I would believe that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Allegedly, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, it's perfectly okay. plausible. So now comes the very, very important scene, which Eric, we can get into in a second, but very important scene where they end up at a cemetery and Classic it's like above okay, ground mausoleum style, mausoleum style Catholic cemetery. Mm-hmm. And that's an important part. Cause I'll get into that. Uh, 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 post. anyway. And remember the guy when they were in the commune, had uh uh when when they left uh i don't think i said this actually but when they were in a commune just before they left he goes here take this share it with people when it's the right time basically handed him some lsd right so he gets this lsd it's four of them it's the two girls the two guys they all take lsd at which point you go into this extremely super surreal trip trip that is portrayed through um uh uh uh, through some very clever cinematography and editing and post treatment apparently some of the film was overexposed Mm -hmm. and that caused some of the weirdness in the exposure that was Mm -hmm. going on right yeah they were really taking acid they say no Uh, dude all you have to do is see Peter Fonda against that wall, you know, in the lap of Mary. Right. And yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, he's I'm, I'm gonna he's, guess. Yeah. yeah, he's totally for legal reasons they say no. For actual they, reasons. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. just no way. It's right. so crazy. Well they were like they, they they said they took a bunch of pot that was also illegal, but it doesn't matter. Right. right. No, but you look at his face when he's looking up, he was absolutely out of his mind they were like okay crazy you're absolutely right i believe you i believe that they were on lsd at that point but what is important here t- tell the story it's a beautiful about, like, scene but it contributes to the scene i think the authenticity of it and makes it so real is because they're most likely yeah they're, they're, uh, they're really they're really having a, well, what's the story what did dennis hopper tell him to do this is the important part of this the in like Dennis this, Hopper, as a director, told him to do what? Oh, basically, when he was sitting in Mary Magdalene's lap in the sculpture or the yeah. uh, the uh, on the wall, he wanted mm-hmm. him to cry, and he was completely zoned out. You can see that when uh, when Tony Basil was getting naked, mm-hmm. and uh, like he's totally like staring off his eyes, his whole face is so relaxed, and um, he basically wanted him to cry more, so he. He said to him, he said, uh, you know, why don't you think about when your mom decided to check out, man. And suicide. Yeah. Because she committed suicide, their mother. And uh, it just totally as expected. I would say directorially, that's not super ethical. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, 
Think about your suicidal mom. Yeah. And then she checked out and copped out on you, man. That's what you have to bring that up, guys. (laughs) She copped out on you, man. Huh? Huh? I think I think (laughs) Peter Fonda did it. Like he actually did the like he did the line. If you watch that, it's like, oh my God, it's fucking heartbreaking. He's actually thinking about his real mom. Yeah. Where he says, I love you and I hate you. And if you really think about what he's doing and the, the emotions he's going through, it's like, that's not right. <laughs> yes, that, that is not a solid uh, ethical choice as a director, I would say. That, that's a little irresponsible. Yeah, and, and Peter Fonda resented Hopper for yeah, that. Yeah, I don't blame him. Long Fuck fucking you. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would. Because I, he I, took advantage of it. And I think you're absolutely right, Eric. I, he must have been too high to not make that choice to say right. no i'm not gonna and do once that. it's in you yeah once it's happening for you it's happening right yeah yeah, yeah i agree I, I think that like that's you know yeah you know, like it's perfectly fine for actors actors to access that kind of stuff but it's up for it's up to them to tell you that that's okay you don't just fucking drop a bomb on someone like that that's fucking silly but that's he was he was like that hopper he was that sounds really consistent <laughs> as they say that tracks. that tracks a <laughs> little bit of an asshole but yeah. man he had the chops yeah no he's terrific i definitely agree yeah i think a touch touch of narcissism there maybe a little bit we'll see yes no as they all do but yeah, yeah. he he definitely uh they all have a little bit of that <laughs> they all have a little bit of that but yeah, no, that that whole sequence is is really uh, is really terrific and very cutting edge for the time. So because there's plenty of like trip stuff that's been that was people are trying to capture at that time, and none of it works as well as that scene. Like that's a that's oh one God. of the best made parts of the movie. So scary! It is yeah. it is amazing. I, I don't think anyone like is so unique that that whole sequence you can watch. I can watch it over and over again. Of like. <clears throat> the religious implications sure. like the religious conversations that are happening on top of the sex yep. and the awkwardness and the vulnerability mm-hmm. and the, the like that's the thing right like that's so. a, like the, that's the thing right like 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 what what acid is doing is making you unbelievably vulnerable yeah like you are allowing yourself to, to just open up completely yeah yeah and 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 then you combine that with the 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 conversation in the cemetery of the church that makes you feel guilty for the feelings you have right right yeah it's just shame <laughs> shame <laughs> exactly. right? right yep yep brutal it's brutal and it's just like the man and the woman talking about christ and then uh, it's just unbelievable and that's and for a- for its time unprecedented like I think that yes, that's, that's not the kind of thing that you that I don't know if I don't know if yeah. that had been done too many times before. Cinema, then. like let's just put no. it so like like compared to Bonnie and Clyde, like as a cinema experience, this is like the trippiest thing you. Well, yeah, seen. because like, and, that's, and like, then you just literally went through the trippiest scene of all scenes, right? Right. Like, you've that, never like, seen this is the like the this. great juxtaposition of these movies is that Bonnie and Bonnie and Clyde is the last gasp of the old industry and so it's still made by industry standards but doing dynamic things with it uh and this is the first gasp of a totally new vision of the industry uh and it barely knows what it's doing except that it's fresh you know and uh and which is what makes like what makes easy writer exciting uh is not that it's like i it's like in one way it's like i said dan i was like 
any any of the three of us could replicate the filming of Easy Rider ourselves in a in about five days. Like it's like it's like it's not a difficult movie to shoot. All the language that was produced by it in terms of you know uh, filmic language is commonplace now. Uh, so like there's no it wouldn't be hard to make this movie. It, it is impossible to make this movie before this movie is made. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing about it is so off the cuff, and it mm-hmm. takes somebody like Hopper and somebody who's uber confident, wealthy like Peter Fonda, yeah, to just say fuck it, we're gonna go do it, man, and we have the connections, I, man, I, and Bobby Rabbit is with us, and we're just gonna, gonna do gonna, it, I'm man. Gonna, I'm, I'm gonna make a music reference to you, Eric, and it's someone a music reference that you may not like, but I'm walk still like an Egyptian. Hmm? No. no, Detroit techno. Detroit okay. techno. I'm Detroit I, techno was a movement that happened in music that people didn't fucking understand or figure out what the fuck was going on, mm-hmm. and they didn't know what it was about, and it sounded horrible, and people didn't know what was going on. It was just, you know it's happening in well, the. I I the understand, early, but what I, early nineties, etc. Yeah, and I, I know. I, 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 and I see it also, 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 I see it, and, and obviously it happened, obviously in the 60s with rock and roll, et cetera. But, but Detroit Techno was like, this is a bunch of fucking noise. Right. It's not edited well. I don't understand what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. But if it wasn't for Detroit Techno, the revolution of electronic music would never Doesn't have happen. happened. And sure. I think, right. I think, you know, I, I agree. I think what I was trying to say is that. It was so the way they did it, it could have just completely flopped and been oh, yeah. like a complete drug addled mess by sheer luck. It sure surfaced. Luck. You're absolutely yeah. right. But it only takes irresponsible drug addled guy and a and a rich kid. Yeah. Um this kind of bravado, like fuck it, let's do it, which is very American in yeah. a way. You know, yeah. it's like I got a friend who builds bikes. We we'll talk to Phil Spector. Let's he said do he'd this. do it. I was doing blow with him last night in the hills. Right. Let's just do it, man. I'll get Jack involved. Jack wants to be. He even pay for his right. own flight. Right. Boom, boom, yeah, boom. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. this bravado. This is how we yeah. are going to make a movie. We're going to do the same hey, thing. Amen, man. Man. I love the this. Same fucking thing. I, love I want us to do. I want us to be the the, the next EC Rider. Man. Hell yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100. Yeah, like yeah, but that's that is the thing. It's like there's the 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 thing to decide is to do it. There's nothing else. There's nothing else, right? Yeah, the and hardest that, decision is not. Is to just to say it or not to do it. Exactly. It's just once you decide it, then it is happening no matter what you do. Right. And uh, like, as long as you decide it, this is what it will happen. And there, I'm sure there are plenty of other movies, uh, you know, like, cause you see any of, there's all sorts of like movies like the trip and stuff like this around the same time as Easy Jack Rider. Nicholson. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but all of those are made like the reason why they don't work you know, uh, is because they're trying to make, they're trying to like, they're trying to be the movie. They're trying to be the movie that easy rider is right. Easy rider is being itself. Like they are, or they're just trying to be created in the yes. same frivolous, but focused manner yes. that easy rider was. Yeah. Because like it, all it takes is a little luck and some right. great taste. Um, but I think Hopper always, by the way, the first number one rap album, uh, the n- first time uh, the number one rap album made it to the charts. Mm-hmm. Do you know when that was? 
I'm going to say 91. 1987. 87. Yeah, okay. I was going to say 80. Or Colors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Colors. man. David, uh, uh, Dennis Hopper's film. It's a great movie. The music I love that he movie. put on. Yeah. Intense movie. Yeah. With, uh, he with, uh, was the first one to do it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So yeah, like awesome. this, uh, this is this is the this is the brilliance of the movie. It's like I would even say that, like I stand by my earlier feelings on Easy Rider, which is just like, in a way, this isn't that good a movie, but the ways in which it is good are so groundbreaking, and the way that it gets it right is so on point that it is exactly itself. Like you could make this I movie think, better, that but you can't the, say it that, harder than that. The thing that bothers me about Easy Rider is that its brilliance is accidental. And it <laughs> yes, 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 it is. Like it's it's a really yeah, but, right well, by being accidentally most... brilliant, it makes it harder to be. Well, the thing is, like, get, that, here's the deal. I mean, <laughs> come on. It's like if somebody paints a painting and they just have. There's always those accidents, so it's never really. I understand well, the happy accident the problem. That no, it's it's the, ac- yeah, yeah. It, the key thing that Eric said is, is the, the the one thing you can't get away from is whoever, especially whoever edited this, having taste makes all the difference. Like I'm sure there's I'm I'm sure there's loads of useless shit that they shot like loads like endless bravado and taste and they like, have, oh I heard they, they, come they had in, a huge amount of footage yeah like they had like they could have made any movie out of that they that they wanted to and they made the good one like that's having taste right and the thing is like the and knowing that this adds up to a statement that it's at when Nicholson lands the line like you have a film you got it okay. like. That's All the right. important. Part. I, want to, I want to wrap up the interview because it's important, and I want to get to to, to where we're going. Just sorry about sure, that. Just like so, uh, they have their experience. They have their trip in New Orleans, and they keep going down their road. Now, the original plan for this movie, the original ending of this movie, is that they get the, the, okay. Oh, sorry, this is still in the movie. They get in a plan thing. Because this was brought up by way, way, way back when. What, what, I'm looking back at our our, our chat, um, which is uh, yes, I'm reading that. It says we blew it. The we blew it line, right? Yeah. Okay, so they're in their their next stop after this, and Billy, then his hopper says, "Like man, we made it. We got all everything we need. We're just going to retire down in Florida." We made it. At which point, Peter Fonda says, we blew, we blew it. Yep. We blew it, man. Which is an acknowledgement of the failure of the hippie revolution. Absolutely. 100%. Right? And this is important because the hippies think that they won, but they didn't. Yep. And them saying that is an important acknowledgement like, Oh, we fucked up. This right? is the, and yes. And this is like, this is the most, to me, the most relevant thing watching this today. It's like, we're doing it again. We're doing it again. We're absolutely doing this again. <laughs> it's like, now, this is happening again. <laughs> what's ridiculous is that the original ending of this movie was that they drove off, they went to Florida, 
They got to Key West and they drove on. They, they got into a sailboat and rode into the sunset. That was supposed to be the ending of the movie. It's quite different now. <laughs> it's a very different ending. That so did nice. not happen, mm-hmm. right? I didn't know that. Yeah. So the new ending is no, we blew it. They drove off on the road as they've been doing this entire film. And then two guys in a freaking pickup truck see these two hippies on their choppers and they say, look at those guys. Let's give them a scare. Grab the shotgun that's on the shotgun rack and back of the pickup truck. Try to scare the guy, but accidentally shoot Dennis Hopper in the fucking face and kill him. (laughs) Yep. Right? Right then and there. I'm just fucking around. Boom. Yep. Boom. Shot him in the face, kill him. At which point, Peter Fonda drives back, like, holy shit, what the fuck did you do? Gets on his bike to get to the guys. The guys in a pickup truck come back, come back, and then there's like, oh, we got to take care of the other guy. Shoot him, and his bike explodes into a million pieces, which is the most expensive bike, so it probably was a big deal to make that shot. Which I also No, they had four versions. Damn, dude. I'd blow up one of those things. Good, 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 good to do. And the bike blows up. Now, I should note that that flame in the middle of the grass where his bike is blown up was a flashback sequence that happened during the acid trip. So you already have a premonition. Yeah, an idea in your mind. Yeah. 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 So that is the both guys are killed by these guys in a pickup truck with a shotgun. And that's the end of the movie. Yep. Yep. Oh, my God. And rises up the end that's that camera rises up yeah they didn't have a drone back then probably with a camera no yep. that was it helicopter it is yep. imp- incredible yeah like it's, I, it's i'm such sorry a... I, I i love this film i know you have your problems with it but it like to me, I, mean, I agree with like you a road film road film road film like, i agree I, like, like, I, I agree the movie like like utterly uh like it is you know, it's like when like it's like if I were carrying an open box with uh, puzzle pieces in it and I tripped going down the stairs and all the puzzle pieces went flying and they landed perfectly in a solved puzzle. That's what I think this movie feels like where you're just like, how the fuck did that happen? Like, how did this turn into a really valid statement with a, with real feeling when the parts of it are like, they just ran around and shot a bunch of shit. And some of it was like, I mean, like, it's so cobbled together and half ass in so many places. And then ultimately that becomes part of why it works because it, it because the lore as well. Right. And it because, only it could be had to be made by somebody who were part of Hollywood and getting famous. Everything came famous. together exactly the right way. And ultimately I agree with you. Eric. It's like whoever is responsible for putting together the final product, like understood what was to be said with this. Like, and they made the movie out of that. I think they probably filmed like a fucking documentary's worth of just stuff. Um, but oh, I the, heard it was hours and yeah. hours and hours of footage. But in the end, someone made a movie out of it. But they, pro- was this all shot in 16 mil? I don't know. It was probably pretty fucking cheap yeah. to make, man. Yeah. I mean, it's it, was. Like, it was like yeah. 400,000. And it's, this was the thing, right? It was the lure of that time. And yeah, yeah everything, everything's in the right place for this to happen, but that doesn't guarantee it happening. Like, no. Whoever like whoever wrote Nicholson's lines and whoever edited the thing 
like had a really clear vision of the statement the movie could make. And that's what rang the bell. Yeah. You know, like this could have been edited into all sorts of dumb junk. And there's plenty of examples of failures of this around the same, around the same period. I'm trying to find a photo. The music is so fucking good. It's perfect. You know, and yeah. like, it's, it's iconic in so many ways and it grabs the, you know, like the zeitgeist of the moment so perfectly. And it doesn't just sort of like hit with, uh, like audiences and go like, oh yeah, no, that was really great. That was exactly how I felt. Blah blah blah. It hit with filmmakers, and so yeah. like they saw it and were like, I didn't realize movies could do this. I'm going to try to do this. This is what gives me yeah. the example to follow, because this was cheap and I can. I am now set free to do whatever the fuck I want, and. That is what opens up the floodgates because Easy Rider made a zillion dollars compared to, you know, whatever the fucking musical was that came out that year that they're expecting to be the big hit, like, bomb. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, like, with the studios. That was a, that was, that was a change. That yeah. Was the, stu- a change. Stu- the studios are in turnaround. Everything is a fucking disaster. What, what Warner's is selling off land. Like, everything is. You know, it's, I was going to try to look for it and I couldn't find it but i saw i remember a photo i saw years ago and it was during the they were screening or they, he was in hollywood for easy rider mm-hmm. and dennis hopper is sitting basically on a staircase of what was just built uh, or just going to be built or just around century city mm-hmm. and uh he's just sitting on this step uh, with uh, a couple other people, and it was so fitting because that's basically, you know, a, a studio which they tore down to make a mall. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, I mean, like he's that, just sitting there on the steps of during construction or something. I was like, right. wow, that's like Studio City was fucking like it was meant to be, like uh, uh, like the new Hollywood center of filmmaking, etc. And instead, it just turns to this sort of shitty mall, and like. The, the best they could, the best use they had was like in Battle for the Planet of the Apes. They used it as a set. <laughs> like that's the best thing they could do with it. Well, they shot like, the original there too. Oh yeah, right, 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 right. You know, and so like like Hollywood is like at the moment like in the end of the end of the sixties, Hollywood is a disaster. Studios are in bad shape and not getting the returns they expect. And then this thing lands for four hundred thousand dollars and just rakes in the money rakes in the dough like people go bananas over easy rider and it sets everyone free it sets the artists free because now the studios will go like well i guess the artists have the answer and then they start hiring the artists to tell the stories and then and then everything changes so like the one-two punch of of bonnie and clyde and this like you can't get you can't ask for a better uh kickstart to why the 70s happened you know, and like, so like all of yeah. this is like the, you know, so like when we, so when we said at the outset, like Easy Rider is one of the most important movies, like you don't have the Mandalorian without Easy no. Rider. Like you don't have Star literally Wars, everything. Therefore the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you went from Easy Rider Problem to is we don't have the next crazy. Easy Rider. That's what yes. I want. I want the next Easy Rider yes. because I'm fucking tired 
Yeah, we need it. Bad. <laughs> Mandalorian. Bad, 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 bad. Everything is like everything is so like, and this is not so. There's plenty of great stuff. In fact, like if you want to ask me like what's like, I'll go off for an hour and a oh, half. Oh, there's lots of great severance, stuff. No all the shit. It's fantastic. Right. But like for the most part, like I have to really work to find interesting new indie material, and yeah. almost all of the stuff that's made by studios is unwatchable right now, and it's so fucking boring. Traditional studios, right? Okay. Listen, guys, we have been going for uh, three hours and 15 minutes. I have to wrap it up. I've got stuff I have to do. But uh, I just think it's a great episode. I'm really glad we did it. It's a very important episode. 101 episodes. Uh, we have many more to cover. Uh, but thank you so much, guys, to, to do this. Uh, I'm sure we will be talking about this specific subject. It gives you all a preview a of the things that we're thinking about in the future as well. <laughs> yeah exactly so exactly this is a, this is a exactly. little this is a champagne kickoff <laughs> yeah for sure for sure it's a good one uh, has it been almost you guys four ready? hours yeah no it's a rock yeah, it's been almost four hours dude Epic. Jeez, really i have to I have to yeah i have to I have to wrap it up i got stuff uh, but I'll, I'll be right back all right you guys ready yes drink talk drink oh.